Hello and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara and today we are going back in the time machine to look at all things, and sadly I do indeed mean all things, September 2001. But I know we're going to get through it together, ladies and gentlemen, and I've got the very best guests on hand for me for the next couple of hours. I have Mr. Bob Colling here. Bob, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Rory. Thanks for having me back. Great to have you on, Bob. And Pete Kimber is here as well. Yeah, likewise. Great to be back, Rory. Tonight, tonight, the spirit of America lives here in Houston, Texas. On behalf of everyone here in the arena and a worldwide television audience, we would like to extend our condolences to the victims and the families and friends of the victims of the terrorist acts that occurred on Tuesday in New York City and Washington, D.C. Our nation's leaders have encouraged us to return to living our lives the way we normally do. Our nation's leaders have encouraged us to continue to live our lives the American way. They've encouraged us to practice and exercise our constitutional rights. And as such, tonight I believe this is the first public assembly of its size since the tragedy of Tuesday. Make, make no mistake about what and make no mistake about the message this public assembly is sending to terrorism tonight. And that message, quite simply, is that we will not live our lives in fear. The citizens of Houston are not afraid. The citizens of Texas are indeed not afraid. And by God, the citizens of the United States are not afraid. The World Wrestling Federation would like to thank each and every one of you here in the Compact Center tonight. The World Wrestling Federation would like to thank each and every one of you watching on television. We would like to thank you for the honor and privilege of performing before you here tonight. So, you heard their extracts from Vince McMahon's words at the beginning of SmackDown, as aired on September the 13th, 2001. The show lasted for a full two hours, and after Vince's in-ring soliloquy and Lillian Garcia's singing of the national anthem, the crowd and viewers were treated to a few matches including a micro-contest for the WCW title between The Rock and Sean Stasiak, but no real storyline advancement of any kind. Also, there were regular cuts to various members of the roster giving their to-camera thoughts on the events of two days previously, and in many cases, what they wanted to see happen next. 
We will talk about those, and one in particular, very shortly. It should be noted that many UPN affiliates refused to air the live broadcast of SmackDown, and perhaps unsurprisingly, it wasn't shown in any New York markets on the day. And I should say, when it was first shown here in the UK on the morning of the 15th of September, the programme was heavily edited, with all references to the tragedy removed. With all that in mind, Bob, I'm going to come to you first. We will discuss the camera pieces in a moment, but for now, what were your overall thoughts about this show? Should it have gone ahead at all? As it did, do you think they got the mood right? What do you reckon? Uh, I mean, that's kind of a tough question. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see, I can see both sides to being for and being against it. Personally, I, I am one, I'm, I'm the type of person that does not thrive with, uh, tragedy, trauma, negativity, what have you. I'll, you know, whether it's a death in the family or whichever, I'll give myself a day or two and then try to kind of, I don't want to sound, uh, inconsiderate or anything, but kind of try to move on. And in this regard, like, I, I don't, want the tragedy to consume my life. So to get two hours of an escape with an entertainment that is the World Wrestling Federation, uh, it kind of gives you that sense of, you know, things can go back to normal or will go back to normal. Uh, you know, we're not going to let the enemy kind of let us live in fear and in terror and whatnot. So for for me, for them to hold this show, uh, I'm actually I, I'm leaning towards just being supportive to it. Obviously, all the people in the attendance, I think they needed it. I think wrestling fans may have needed it right after such a terrible event to happen. Um, and I like, I mean, this the sense of you know not having any kind of storyline progression. It's not the type of show where you need to have storyline progression. Just have your, you know, your favorite wrestlers go out and distract you for a couple couple of hours and and try to just not forget what happened, but distract you for at least a little while. So I I was fine with continuing their their show. I entirely understand that, Pete. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think it was very brave. Uh, Obviously, given obviously what, what what took place on the day and, and quite so soon afterwards, but I guess in Vince's eyes and I guess in the company's eyes, uh, it's kind of it's a show business trope, isn't it? That the show must go on in some degree. So, oh, theirs wasn't a normal rule as we would normally expect to see it. There was still obviously a, a good crowd there. There were still some matches. I guess the only thing we're going to come on to it is probably the sound bites from the wrestlers, kind of set the tone i don't know yeah i don't know if that was needed but maybe it was because the rest is obviously then that they're reacting emotionally to what actually happened and they've got various ways of of, of sharing that so i don't know if that was the right thing to do just maybe just have a show and make it very you know uh a a respect point of view and you know uh, put on the show for people that were there and people at home trying to come to terms with it so i think it was very brave to do um I'm not sure if it's something that maybe in the UK, if it would have happened in a similar way. I know like a, a potential like football matches, etc., may have just been cancelled. I don't think they would have gone ahead in the same same notion. But I think wrestling 
in itself because it is a, a a different product and a different thing. I think probably that's why it did go ahead. And I think obviously it may have helped some people just to, like Bob said, it's two hours out of your life just to kind of think about different things and, and overcome what has happened in that terrible, terrible tragedy. So it was very brave, I would say. Yeah, just to jump on one of your points there, Pete, about how things were handled here in the UK. On September the 11th itself, there were some European football matches, I think a mix of Champions League and UEFA Cup games. And they did actually go ahead on the evening of September the 11th. It was only the matches that were scheduled for the next day, Wednesday the 12th, and I think some on Thursday the 13th were then called off as well, leading to the the whole month has been bizarre, but hearing the Ipswich town manager, George Burley, being interviewed on the evening news about things coming to a standstill. You know, that's that's where we are. Now, that's a name I never thought I'd mention on this podcast, but <laughs> wow. all rationality, just there's no such thing at this point in time. But yeah, you both make excellent points. And this was yet another situation where the WWF were damned if they did and damned if they didn't. It should be remembered that SmackDown was due to go out live from Houston, Texas on the Tuesday evening. That's why all the crew were in town. They travelled late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. So everybody was already there. So this wasn't a case of getting everybody to travel to Houston by whatever means that might have been on the Tuesday and the Wednesday to set up for the Thursday. So they were already in situ. That's the number one thing. And number two, we have been here before, haven't we? We had a very in-depth discussion about whether the WWF should have continued a show 28 months ago. And if you can face it, it's not our easiest listen, it must be said. And do go back into the archives there and check out what myself, Chris White and Eric Landstrom, the decision we eventually came to ourselves on that one. And there are no right answers. And there will always be people who will defend everything the WWF does stoically, not any room for nuance or debate whatsoever. And on the other side of the coin, you've got people who just won't give them even the slightest bit of leeway. And we see that on the Internet. If you're stupid enough to go on the Internet like I am most days, 24 seven and I have made a conscious effort to steer clear of it over the last two weeks because I know what I'd be getting again from both sides. My personal opinion of this is that the Federation handled it just about right. Vince McMahon's words, I've heard them described as a promo and I know what people are trying to say there, but they're not a promo. He wasn't promoting anything other than his own sense of patriotism. And this was the correct opportunity to do that. He's a very gung-ho person, to say the very least. And there have been times where the mark he has left has been indelible, for better or worse, in terms of his flag waving. Here, I don't think anybody can get on his case for what he said. Vince himself seemed to understand the severity of the moment. He spoke for four minutes that was clearly off the cuff. And then he just walked out of the ring to no real great fanfare, no real peroration or rhetorical flourish he just thought four minutes was enough and then just left and Lillian gave that wonderful rendition of the national anthem and then from there it was just a show where by and large as Bob says you were able to escape for a couple of hours and people were needing it it's one of those where I understand why certain UPN affiliates didn't carry it and I certainly understand 
why it wasn't shown as live in New York, because it's still going to be wall to all there, wall to wall news there on every channel. And from my perspective, though, I must say that I couldn't entirely switch off despite my best efforts. And when you have Jim Ross, sorry, when you have good old JR, because that's an important distinction here who could only be a professional wrestling commentator, good old JR, giving out the phone number and the website of the American Red Cross between matches. Uh, That is life in the blackest possible sense, intruding on art and escapism. And again, all the credit in the world to the WWF for using their TV time to get out that extremely important message we heard it a lot on every edition of raw and smackdown and the pay-per-view through the rest of the month and as much as it pains me to say it i reckon we'll be seeing very similar appeals for a good few months to come i mean if you've seen the site what's now being known as ground zero i oh i I, we're not trying to run away from it here on this program but we are a pro wrestling podcast and we are trying to help you as well, dear listeners, just to try to get away from it for a couple of hours and just debate pointless, stupid, irrelevant pro wrestling. But that's what we're here for. And we are going to have some fun doing so. But we do have to make reference to the to camera pieces that we've all alluded to in the last 10 minutes where any of the talents. And as far as I can tell and have been able to read, they didn't necessarily have to give their thoughts to camera. Indeed, there were some rather interesting absentees. I'm not going to mention them. Stone Cold Steve Austin was one of the people who did step up, which I thought was quite interesting. But people were allowed to talk for as long or as short as they wanted and just to give their thoughts on the events in as much as they could of two days previously. Edge opened up proceedings by saying quite matter of factly that he wasn't convinced that this show was the right thing to do. But he eventually relented and decided that it was. You had perhaps unsurprisingly and intentions are running high and People I'm going to group together like Michael Hayes, Taz, and especially Bradshaw, who made perfectly clear what they wanted to see happen in the aftermath of this tragedy. I thought Bradshaw's comments threw into sharp relief those put forward by Ivory immediately before him, where she spoke very movingly to any children who might be watching that they shouldn't be judgmental and there are only two types of people in this world good and bad that one that one had me choking the back i must say but there's one comment that we must on this program discuss and i'm not here to pile on anybody this isn't the time to apportion blame or just get into our general pro wrestling tit for tat we'll do that in the remaining one and a half hours and for every month to come on this show i promise you but Stephanie McMahon's comments, which I'm not going to play in, nor am I going to quote them verbatim. I'm sure most people listening to this program will know what they are, where she compared the attack on America on September the 11th to the supposed attack on her mother and father by the federal government seven years previously. My word. The WWF themselves, to their credit, have probably seen the light here to some degree when most of this program was repeated on their access show on Saturday Stephanie's comments were removed Pete as I say this isn't the time for oh my goodness me look at the McMahons they're doing it again making it all about themselves or at least it shouldn't be but and I mean this with the best will in the world with comments like that they make it very 
very difficult for me not to say that. Well, I think it was just abhorrent that she'd even come out and begin her her speech, her her reaction to, to what's happened, uh, reflecting on how her family were treated all those years ago um, in a in a trial, you know, and to compare that to you know what's happened. I mean, I can't even believe that her, her headspace going into that and, and how that would come across. I'd love to know the reaction of the wrestlers and, and, and the company and the people they even, maybe even Vince, I don't know, Linda, what actually would they have thought of, of her comparing those two together was just, yeah, I think your mouth just dropped, if I'm honest. I'm not sure what, what, what Bob would think about that in terms of if that was a, if it was a constant stream of that during this programme, it would have been just turn off telly, but there wasn't, there's only one kind of person who, who went that way, and I guess it had to be a McMahon, didn't it, who, who did that, sadly, and Stephanie, but yeah, I can't, I can't believe they even actually put it out in the first place, having reviewed it, it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I just cannot understand it, where she was coming from, I don't know, totally wrong pitch, wrong place, wrong time to to try and compare anything like that to what's actually happened, so yeah, absolutely shocking. Well, obviously her comments are incredibly misguided. I, I kind of understand what her attempt was, uh, but it's just wrong to do it in the context in which she did it. Um, I mean, back in 93, 94, uh, you know, the Vince McMahon and uh, officials or whatever were accused of, you know, distribution of steroids. I think fans and critics alike uh, are justifiable to be offended and to be angry with what she was trying to do. Uh, her attempt of saying, hey, you know, we were targeted by the FBI and whatnot, but we bonded together and became stronger trying to tie that into America and, and what is going on. I understand the attempt. It's just a horrible attempt. You have to read the room. You have to read the situation and she seems like a bright girl, but right here was something that failed to really communicate properly what she was trying to get across. In times of tragedy, people don't know where to turn. And the one thing they know they do want is answers. Why did this happen? How could this happen? And people are so desperate, understandably, for answers that they don't ask what really are the right questions. And that is as kind as I can possibly be to Stephanie McMahon about these comments, that she was directing her anger, anger that we all felt and all still feel, but channeling it in completely the wrong direction. You, I, you could just tell that something was up when the camera cut to her and she's fixing the camera with that mean eyed glare and she sat forward conspiratorially in her seat. I shuddered at that point and that's even before she started talking uh, the remaining 45 seconds I, I can't even really tell you how I reacted to be perfectly honest with you some of the other comments from the likes of as I say Taz and Bradshaw no, they had me bristling I won't pretend otherwise but everybody has different opinions on this situation of course we do and um, nobody's completely right and nobody's completely wrong but to draw illusions between an attack in which at the latest count, nearly 3,000 people have lost their lives. And a trial that took place seven years ago 
in which all due practice was followed. And yes, let the record show that Vince McMahon was acquitted on the specific charges that were brought against him. He was not found guilty of any of those charges. We could all have our own opinions on that. I'm sure we all do. But that is what the record books show. And the fact we're even talking about the steroid trial seven years after it happened. Now, then you could almost say that Stephanie's got what she wanted. And I agree with you, Bob. She is a very intelligent woman. She's a, a college graduate, no high distinction and massive honours. And she could do anything she wanted to do. It just so happens that she's now subsumed into her dad's business and will be until the rest of her days, I don't doubt. But whether it was hubris, whether it was just her mind and her heart not communicating for those 45 seconds, I don't know. I, Unsurprisingly, she's been very tight-lipped on the situation since, but WWF have not leaked their own opinions of it, other, as I say, to not rebroadcast it when they did the virtual entire rerun on the Saturday. This is This is what I mean. If there's one time to not be talking about the McMahon family or anybody really connected to professional wrestling, it's a tragedy on this scale. But yet we're doing it again and we have to do it. We wouldn't be doing our journalistic duty if we weren't talking about it. But it's the last thing I want to be discussing right now when our thoughts and I think most of the program Smackdown September the 13th, it really did get this, in my opinion, thoughts should be on the victims of this abominable atrocity. And I just hope, and it might be a rather forlorn one, that when the McMahons did meet up, because you know they would have done between that date and now where we are recording at the end of September, that somebody, be it mum or dad themselves, just said to Stephanie, no, we, we don't need that. That doesn't help us. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help America. On the whole, I think the Federation should give themselves the pat on the back for this show. For my money, there was less debate about this show going ahead than there was the show continuing 28 months beforehand. I do think the crowd in Houston really did want this show to go ahead. They were hot throughout. It's just just a chance to walk away from this horror for a couple of hours and yeah, I'm sure the Federation for many years to come will remind us at the time that they were the first public gathering since September the 11th. Of course they will. They're going to toot their own horn. It's what the WWF do. It's priced in. All the things we rightly criticise them for, they almost, and I stress almost, get a pass on this one because it's so expected. But I always give credit where it's due. And putting a show which clearly leaned heavily on entertainment and you didn't need to think in depth about anything at all there were no storyline advancements no Kurt Angle won in short order in the main events and went off the air chanting USA that's all you needed it was a success in that regard I don't know what the full ratings were I haven't cared to look I don't think it matters to be perfectly honest but I think the Federation just about with a major major wobble got this one right and we need to credit them for it but I think now, gents, it's about time that we really do talk about what everybody does listen to these shows for and why we do them. And that's some good old pro wrestling. Come on, Austin, beg. Beg for me, Austin. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's all was a... I'm sorry it's all a big misunderstanding. I didn't mean to steal. What? <clears throat> what? Come on, Austin, beg. 
beg for me. All right, I'm sorry it was a big misunderstanding. I didn't mean to take your gold medal. You, I know they mean what? more. I know they mean more to you what? than anything. I know they mean more to you than anything in the world, and I'm so stupid of me to take your gold medal. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're pathetic. You are pathetic. Well, let me try again. I'm so sorry that I took your gold medals, man. Shut it was, up. Shut up. Since you're so pathetic at begging, I want you to cry. Cry for me, Austin. Cry. Come on. Cry, Austin. I can't cry. Cry, Austin. I, I can't cry. Cry. I'll, I'll cry. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're pathetic. You're a joke. Come on, Austin, cry. Come on, come on, cry, Austin. You're kidding me. What? I mean, it pissed you off. What? I shouldn't have done it. Sorry, I'm such a jackass. I'm sorry. Listen, hey. Listen, I'll tell you what, Austin. You are really pathetic. But there's one thing I want more than anything, even more than my Olympic gold medals. I want a return match for the WWF title. You got it. What? You got it. If you want to return, you got it. I want more than that. I want a date, and I want a place. Just name it. What? I said name it. Will you want me to beg again, cry again? Name a date. You got it. I want Pittsburgh, PA, my hometown, and Unforgiven. Hey. What? Okay. You got it all. WWF title. Where? Pittsburgh, PA. When? Unforgiven. What? Pittsburgh, PA, Unforgiven. I've given you what you want. Take these, God, take these chains off and let me go. I give you what you want. You know what, Austin? I give you what you want. Let me go. All right, all right. Hey, I got what I wanted. You did. But you know what, Austin? What? You're still going in the water. Oh, what? Ah! So, you might remember at the end of last month, Steve Austin threw Kurt Angle's medals off a bridge whilst declaring in that fantastic line, you pledge allegiance to the flag, I pledge allegiance to Stone Cold Steve Austin and the WWF title. He is just on another planet right now. But it was time for yet another bit of Austin appreciation. So, Stephanie McMahon, <laughs> just laughing just thinking about it, Stephanie McMahon and Deborah clubbed together 
to Blythe, club together to buy Austin a brand new truck. Because you would, wouldn't you? His expression when he saw that was absolutely priceless. He went, as we say over here, as giddy as a kipper, had a huge smile on his face, just like me at the age of eight when I got a Sega Master System for Christmas. <laughs> just so happy, skipping to the back. And then just after he was given a guided tour of the vehicle, declares, like Steve Austin, of course, is going to do, that he is the king of the world. And it should be said that for the WWF, that's a pretty contemporary reference because it's only three years old. So nice one, Vince. I wonder who gave him that one. But Austin couldn't enjoy it for long because Kurt Angle came out, whacked him with an iron bar, bound him and gagged him, as you do, and dragged him off to the nearest bridge. Wanting retribution for what happened the week before and then relenting because he decided to throw Austin off an even bigger bridge. But Angle, being the hero that he is, gave Austin an option that if he awarded him a rematch for the WWF title, then maybe he wouldn't put him in the water. Austin had to beg. Austin had to cry. But he eventually awarded Kurt Angle the WWF title match at Unforgiven. Despite all that, though, Austin still went in the water. Oh, yes, a very handily placed kiddie pool right behind him. Austin writhing around in the water whilst Angle walks off. This is going to be a moment I will remember for a very, very long time. Uh, the feud escalated from there in a hardcore match on September the 10th between Angle and Rob Van Dam. Angle actually won the hardcore title, but immediately when the bell rang, Austin was straight out there to toss Angle right off the stage in a brilliantly timed spot, allowing RV to win the belt back by virtue of the 24-7 rule. And on the final SmackDown before the pay-per-view, they did a really old-school angle on angle where Austin did him in good and proper, including a pile driver on the floor. Now, if you remember, a pile driver has been a banned move since May, June 2000. But the enormity of this angle when Austin for one night only was given special dispensation. And the commentary team gave us regular updates throughout on Kurt Angle's condition. Was his neck broken? Was he able to walk? We found out later that he did maintain control of his extremities. And shortly before the end of the show, he emerged in a neck brace with tears in his eyes to tell Austin that his time was nearly up and unforgiven in his hometown. He was going to take the WWF title. Bob, your thoughts on the build for our WWF title match at Unforgiven. Not what I want to lead you in any particular direction, but Angle and Austin right now. Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm right, I'm right there with you. First off, I I loved their SummerSlam match. Uh, I thought that was just spectacular, amazing. Uh, match. You know, storytelling, everything. I mean, it really solidified Angle uh, in this current babyface role. I mean, even dating back to I'd probably say mid 2000, uh, I could tell that if given the opportunity, Angle could be a top babyface because of the comedy and just overall presentation of the guy and i think he's absolutely destroying it uh currently everything involving them has been can't miss each week it's like what is going to happen next with angle in austin and it's building my anticipation to wanting to see kurt angle dethrone steve austin for the heavyweight championship and normally when it comes to pay-per-views i'm usually pretty critical when there's a dq or a non-finish but at SummerSlam, when they did it, it seemed perfect because you don't want to pull the trigger too early uh, at, a, at a big event that SummerSlam where you don't really need to do that. So if you're being able to extend it to a secondary pay-per-view, uh, I'm sure 
along with many people like myself and Rory, and I'm assuming uh, Peter as well, we're going to buy the next one's pay-per-view to get that happy ending. And considering what they've been able to do on television, it's really a no-brainer. It's not like, oh, I can't believe I'm spending money again on an Austin Angle match. It's like I need to see what's going to happen. I think the intensity has been great, and they've added multiple layers throughout the last four or five weeks, whether it be the uh, the medals being thrown off the bridge and then Kurt Angle with the, uh, you know, the humor aspect of, you know, pushing him into a kiddie pool and all these things, the pile driver, as you mentioned, there's so much going on that I haven't been this excited for a match in probably a handful of years. Worth twenty nine ninety five of anybody's money, eh, Bob? Yeah, this is worth it. Not, not fit Finley against, you know, uh, Brian Adams or whatever it was. Oh, 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 don't mention his name too many times, Bob. He might turn up. Oh, God, yeah, right? Jeez. <laughs> Sadly not fit Finley either. Pete, what do you make of uh, the Angle-Austin interactions? I was just, I, I, I took myself back to, uh, dare I say, and please don't turn my mic off immediately, to the, uh, the Lex Luger build going into, obviously, his SummerSlam match Whoa. with uh, <laughs> so In terms of how you build up, to a pay-per-view yes. with your all-American, dare I say, baby face in that situation, was a guy just going around in a bus doing the thing in the local schools and whatever else. This was pure like storytelling. Uh, they both showed great vulnerability. So you had the angle distraught that his medals had gone into the into the river. Suddenly Austin's been kidnapped and been threatened to throw over a bridge. You know, and then there's a bit of comedy at the end where he's just thrown into the into the kiddie pool. Then you've got the violence of the of the power driver on the floor. It, it, it ebbed and flowed and backed and forth. And I think the stars are just aligned um, for, for Kurt Angle and, 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 and the WWF in terms of this is a chance to, to really make something of, of Kurt and, and bring him out of this as a true top babyface WWF champion. And that's what we want. And in that, then in that case, it's a job well done, isn't it? We're waiting now for this to happen and this match to take place and Kurt Angle to win the title. Whereas, as we know what happened with our good mate Lexi, it all went a little bit south and a little bit sour and never really went anywhere afterwards. Whereas Kurt's shown so much more and Austin's given so much more back and forth as as the kind of character that he is and the professional that he is. They've both carried this off fantastically well. So it's one of the best girls I think it's been for a long time. And you're quite right. You want to go and, and, and shill out that money to, to see the, the end result and hopefully in the, in the hometown uh, see Kurt there at the end. So, uh, yeah, job well done. Austin has been so selfless in this feud as well. In that amazing SummerSlam match, he looked like the coward of all cowards when he realised he wasn't able to beat Kurt Angle and just attacked every ref he possibly could in the hope of eventually getting disqualified. Here on the September the 3rd Raw, he allows himself to be chained up, <laughs> covered up by a mask, having to whimper and squeal and beg and cry in front of Kurt Angle and have the indignity of being pushed into a kiddie pool fully clothed. He gets to hit Angle with a pile driver on the go-home smackdown. And what I say was an angle that could have been shown a bit further south 15 years earlier. You know, if you listen very carefully, you might be able to hear Kurt Angle say, make it good, just before the power drive was hit. <laughs> One for Eric Landstrom there. And then when Angle emerges and he tears off his neck brace, 
the look on Austin's face, you know, the fear. They've said, oh, I've tried everything and I still cannot put this guy down. I know I can't beat him, but now I can't even put him out of action by pile driving him on the floor. How the hell am I going to defeat him in his hometown in three days time? And it's pro wrestling storytelling at its best. It's really, really simple stuff. Uh, This is not the proverbial rocket science. It's not even first day of rocket science class. But pro wrestling fans, they want these simple stories, but they want them told where you can attach your own appreciation and thoughts to them. And that's what Angle and Austin have done here. There are so many potential branching stories you could have done and character motivations. At the end, that final shot. And I do wish actually this had closed the SmackDown before the pay-per-view. But Angle just staring Austin out and his lip is quivering. I say he's got tears in his eyes tears off the neck brace and just gives him the glare right the way down the ramp. Uh, Angle is... I I do wonder, I do hope that the no-listeners are tired of the praise that we give Angle in this programme because I'd like to think it's only just beginning. He's still only been here for 22 months. Flies over my head that it's just not even two years and he's perfected the art of being a heel and he's well on the way to perfecting the art of being a babyface as well truly staggering and I only hope that when the end of year rewards roll round in three months time that he will sweep the board which he didn't quite do last time he came pretty close I'll be making my very best efforts no spoilers but Kurt Angle is ready for the WWF title which he will go for at the Unforgiven pay-per-view Peter take us through all the other results of that show please no problem Bob Bob well, I'm sorry. That's, that's going back a few years, isn't it? Sorry, Rory. Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned Bob in the notes for this pay-per-view as it is, so let's not give him too much, too much of a big hit here now. Sorry about that. Um, the uh, <laughs> the uh, Dudley boys retain the WF Tag Team Championship in a fatal four-way against the Big Show, which fight Dudley, Hurricane, Lance Storm and the Hardy boys. Uh, Perry Saturn defeated Raven in a a match about a mop. We'll leave that there. Um, Christian defeated Edge to win the Intercontinental Championship. The Undertaker and Kane retained the WCW Tag Team Championships by beating Chronic, Brian Adams and Brian Clark with Stephen Richards. Uh, Rob Van Dam uh, regained the Hardcore Championship against Chris Jericho. The Rock defeated Booker T and Shane McMahon to also retain the WCW uh, Heavyweight Championship. Rhino defeated Tajiri to win the WCW United States Championship. And Kurt Angle defeated Stone Cold Steve Austin to win the WWF Championship. Ah, there we go. Bob, your opening thoughts on Unforgiven 2001. Uh, I'm going to just say that for the most part, it's an underwhelming pay-per-view with a kind of disappointing result in the main event. But I will discuss further as we go on. Absolutely. Peter, what do you reckon? I'm looking forward to hearing that, Bob. Um, (laughs) uh, For me, uh, I think it's kind of, there's a few highs, there's quite a few lows. It's a very middle-of-the-road show, I think, for me. We're going to probably hear that as we go along. Yeah, I'm going to say for now, I think this was a successful pay-per-view in that they hit their marks, but it wasn't necessarily the most edifying of watches. 
in too many places, things were rather loose and they weren't necessarily thought about in the right manner. Again, extraneous circumstances must be taken into account. But as a two hour, 40 minute pay-per-view, certainly before the main events, which probably almost needs to be spoken about completely separately, certainly for the first two hours and 15 minutes, let's say, I felt things were wonky where they didn't need to be. They weren't too far wrong. This wasn't a disaster or anything even close to it. But this seems to be a little too much coasting, not quite enough thought put into the right places. And things that could have been good were merely average. Things that could have been average were bad. And things that should have been bad were a lot worse than bad. One thing in particular, which we're going to have a lot of fun getting to in a few minutes' time. But let's press on with Unforgiven 2001, emanating, as previously mentioned, from Kurt Angle's hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So after a performance of America the Beautiful from Jennifer Holliday, depicts charisma versus melisma, and a video package that cheerfully tells us only two matches here really matter, despite seven titles being up for grabs tonight, we hit our first match in its elimination tag action with the Hardys, Storm and Hurricane, whether they want to or not, think about it, Show and Spike and the new champions, the Dudleys. You like that one, didn't you? Everybody gets a turn early on until Spike, wearing the event t-shirt, of course takes the heat. This includes a huge flapjack that constitutes yet more tough love from the Dudleys and a cape-assisted crossbody block by the Hurricane. Big Show won't stand for any of that, though, and he mows down all the heels in retaliation. The other face members then help out, including double dives by the Hardys. And then Show and Spike give us the Quebec special, but this time with the little fella going right over the top rope onto all the bad guys. Show himself then teases a climb, but Bubba mercifully cuts that off. I hear Gorilla in my head, hoping that the ring has been reinforced, yes. But in the real world, Storm takes a show choke slam, and we have our first elimination. Double suplex by the Dudleys to show, and then Matt and Spike exchange some nice babyface offense. Spike with a neckbreaker for a sharp two, but the acid drop, and yes, I'm still calling it that, is blocked. The twister fight isn't blocked, and now we are down to the Hardys versus the Dudleys. Oh, that's novel. I decide against copying and pasting any of my notes from the last two years, because that's the level of dedication I give you all. But I might as well have done. The fans have brought along their We Want Tables recording as well. Yeah, getting stale now. Jeff gets a right royal beating, including the What's Up, and it's his official name, according to JR. Hardy scraps out of a headlock, but gets power slammed down for another near fall. He hits the steps hard, and I can't help but wince every time he takes a bump. I better hope the wind doesn't change. Jeff, though, with a whisper in the face of said Gale, and then here comes Matt. House of Fire offense, but he can't get a victory just yet. The Dudleys bail, but then Matt with a moonsault off the top rope down to both of them on the floor. And yes, I did say Matt. No win off the yodeling leg drop. That's his move. And then he eats the 3D very shortly afterwards. But Jeff with a swanton to break up the count. Bubba Blum, though, from the illegal man. And Devon is able to drape the arm. And this time the champs are able to retain. Pete, all a bit familiar, isn't it? Yeah, there was no doubt what was going to happen with the last, uh, who the last two teams were going to be. But I think before we got there... I'll give a little shout out to to the Hurricane. I think I like the he did repeat that same sort of Hurricane pose into the rope with a, with a clothesline about four or five six times to try and get that particular bit of his character over. But I quite enjoyed that as a little bit of a of a comedy aside in it. The show beginning to scale the ropes. I was almost go on. You, you can do this. How how is he going to land and be caught by those guys without killing every single one of them? I didn't know, but 
sadly, uh, Bubba Ray got involved and stopped that bit of fun from happening. But unless they were going to elevate two tag teams that were put together with single wrestlers, which they were never going to do, we kind of knew we'd get the Dudley Boys versus the Hardys. And you're right, it's just a little bit, okay, this time the Dudley Boys won. And that's kind of it, wasn't it, really? It wasn't anything that was too bad. I just think it was a little bit, you kind of knew what was going to happen. It was just Wickthorn was going to win this particular uh, encounter that we've had repeated over the past, as you've already said, two years. So, uh, but a good energetic start. I think the crowd were, were into it. It was a quite a good start to, to the show in that sense. So, yeah, I'll give, give them the thumbs up for that. Just a shame that it was the same old, same old, really. Yeah, Bob, we've been here before, and indeed we probably will be here again. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was better uh, than I was anticipating. The, the hot crowd for the action certainly helped it as well. And uh, while watching it, I was kind of surprised with how over Big Show is, uh, at least in this current role. And it got me thinking, how in the world is Big Show not in the Alliance? I don't, under- I don't understand yeah, right. how he's not part of that group, considering his history with WCW. And it certainly feels like the Alliance kind of needs more viable contenders or threats to the World Wrestling Federation. And it would seem as if maybe Big Show would fit that role instead of teaming up with a guy that weighs 110 pounds. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Maybe down the line he'll do one of his, you know, 15,000 heel turns or whatever it's been at this point. Uh, I also enjoyed Hurricane. I think Hurricane and Storm are an intriguing tag team. I think there's potential there with the comedy and the serious side to kind of bounce off each other. Uh, I was a little disappointed with the Dudleys and Hardys being the final two teams because, as you guys said, we've been seeing this for probably the last 28 months or whatever it's been that they've – well, not that long, but like 16 months that you know they've both been in the company for. So uh, that was kind of – a played out scenario. I would have rather have had seen the Dudleys against show and spike. And, and if they're going to retain is having beat spike and maybe have those two teams do it out, uh, you know, battle it out either on raw the next night or, or at the next pay-per-view or something. But uh, d- regardless of all that, I would say it was a, a good solid opening contest uh, just with kind of redundant outcomes. Yeah, this one was definitely helped by the crowd. You're quite right, Bob. They were so into this, you know, some very obvious reasons as to why they were. You could have put any opener on here and you probably would have got the same reaction. I still think, given some of the options, the Federation made a fairly sensible choice by making it this combination of people and not any others. But we'll get to that in a few minutes time. I just think this was the opportunity, though, to mix things up a bit. And the Hardys, they are beyond bulletproof at this point. They are perennially, perennially over to the point where I can't even say it. So have them go as one of the first two teams and just change the dynamic a little bit. And I'm with you, Bob. I think the Dudleys versus the show and the spike, as Brett would say, that could have been interesting. There are storyline reasons behind that happening as well. I still don't think they've really paid off or completed the, Dudley's versus Spike storyline yet. Judging by where the TV went after this, I'm not sure they're going to. And that's a bit of a plot hole and one I think needs covering, especially when you've got the small matter of the Alliance storyline there, supposedly offering ballast for it in any event. And that would have been something. Instead, just having 
Show and Spike teaming up and not really getting anywhere with it. It's the old big guy, little guy thing, which Vince is just getting his jollies out in the background. Now, don't put them together if you're not really going to make something of it. I did enjoy the Hurricanes antics, and it's obvious what they're doing by putting him and Storm together. Again, very broad brushstrokes, but it does work. The Hurricane is into it. I don't understand any of his references, so he's definitely doing his job. But even though the action between the Hardys and the Dudleys was acceptable, and I think it's always going to be, it's almost too easy now that you could just throw those teams out there. And this is one of the problems I talked about a few minutes ago when I said they didn't put enough thought in. They think, ah, Hardys and Dudley's in an elimination match. There we go. They can have the last seven or eight minutes. They know what they're doing. And yeah, they do. And we know they know what they're doing. But we know that we know that they know what they're doing. And we're getting towards the end of 2001 now. This has almost been two solid years of those two teams feuding. And I don't think it's going to be the end of it. I mean, with the Alliance storyline being as it is and the sides that they're on, I can see it happening again at whenever they have the final invasion angle blow off, which some people say is probably going to be in Toronto, WrestleMania next year, pencil in another Hardly's Dudley's match there. And it's hard to maintain excitement. And when the matches themselves are generally entertaining, but you're not feeling it from them, then that's when you need to sit back and ask questions. And somebody in creative needs to take the ball by the horns and say, yeah, look, we know these people can do it. They proved it on the highest stage. Let's give them the opportunity to do something a little bit different now, because the law of diminishing returns, as it always does, is just starting to settle in. But otherwise, a fine, fun opener supported by an amazing crowd. More of them later. So we go backstage and RVD is accosted by Chris Lace. Oh, no, sorry, Stephanie McMahon. At least it is on this occasion. <laughs> she wishes Rob good luck against Chris Jericho later and is happy to offer her services should they be required. Whoa, she's inching in on your turf, Lacey. They agree just to give the old effing show a bigger dressing room instead. Michael Cole talks to the family angle and guess who they tip to win the main event today. So our second match and a late addition to the card, Raven versus Saturn. Yes, poor old Moppy met her match in a wood chipper the week before this. And Saturn wants his revenge. See what I mean about pro wrestling not necessarily being all that taxing? Anyway, the match. Terry dives in right from the off, and I really like that springboard drop kick of his. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm full of it today. JR opines that Saturn has been hanging around branches of Home Depot after the demise of Moppy, and he's probably right. Raven gets some basic offense, including a nifty bulldog, but no three count there. He slaps on the Cobra clutch for a very quick two-arm drop in both how they raced through it and how soon into the match it took place. You don't normally see that in the first two minutes. Raven then just blocks Saturn off from getting back in the ring, but Perry manages to jab the neck. Sunset flip back in, but Raven holds the ropes. Saturn, though, can power out. T-bone suplex followed by a belly-to-belly, -belly, and Saturn has a nasty cut around his left eye. Is it possible to have a nice cut? Roll up for a two-count, but Raven blocks Arana off the top rope. A shove-down of sorts gets a near fall, as does Raven's own sunset flip. Catapult by Saturn and then straight into the moss-covered three-handled family gradunza for the extremely sudden win. Bob? Well, you know, watching this match and kind of uh, paying attention to the angle throughout the month had me wishing, like, oh, man, I miss WCW because these guys are wrestling over a mop. And then I was just rudely reminded 
WCW did the same damn thing. So I don't know why I'm missing a company when they would do the same foolish angles here. Uh, this is like, this should have been on Sunday Night Heat or something. I don't really think it needed to be on pay-per-view. The crowd seemed very lukewarm towards anything that was going on. Um, but I thought that, uh, that Saturn kind of continues to display some good in-ring stuff and, I, I, I don't see him ever really rising through the ranks uh, during this whole alliance situation. He's another guy that if you really wanted to add credibility, there's a handful of guys that if you were to put him in the alliance and kind of elevate them, that this would probably be a more worthwhile storyline. Um, but I enjoy Saturn's in-ring stuff. And, uh, you know, I, right now Raven's just kind of there for me, which is kind of disappointing to say because just a few months ago he was having killer hardcore matches on uh, pay-per-view. Um, but this just felt just felt like filler. I mean, sure, it has an angle attached to it, but it just felt like a cool down from a hot opener, which seems really early to do that. Um and uh, it just made me wish for kind of their WCW encounters because this is like a, a swing in the mist. It kind of feels like two guys that you would see on an independent wrestling show thinking, oh, man, these guys had great matches like four or five years ago. And then, then there, there's the, the actions like, oh, we're just here for the payday. That's kind of what it felt like here for, for the most part for me. Yeah, this match was announced on Sunday Night Heat, but I agree with you. It really should have just stayed there. Pete. Yeah, very, very early toilet break match. I think they're hoping after the first uh, ma- uh, match of the night that people had drunk too much already and decided to go for a quick, uh, uh, a quick wee to give it the, uh, to a polite term. Uh, yeah, I think Bob made a really good point about the fact that there's a lot of credible people that they've got that really aren't doing a great deal. And there's that many titles, there's seven, you know, seven title matches tonight. Surely Raven and Saturn can fit into a, you know, a title bracket somewhere in the, in the company or in the alliance itself as well and, and, and be a part of something. To use these two in a storyline revolving a, a mop, just, and they must think to themselves, blimey, we're getting paid, but what's happening to us? Because I think they were very credi- credible back in the day, more so. Raven, I think, has got himself into fantastic shape and had some really good hardcore matches. Saturn looks sometimes like he's not quite all there. I know the storyline is around his kind of concussions and the a bit of brain damage, something like it's happened to him has made him go this way as well. But that's a bit, mm, a bit callous to look at it like that. But yeah, for, for five minutes, I just think it could have been, as you say, a mid, you could say shotgun, maybe a mid match on Raw or SmackDown. It wasn't a pay per view match at all. It should never have been anywhere near this card with it. But the titles that are on the line tonight, I don't know how they slot this one in in that sense. So yeah, a bit of a, bit of a dud really. No, this wasn't pay per view worthy. And it's just a crutch that the WWF have that they need to get their pay-per-views up to two hours 40 for people to get their 29.95 worth. But considering this was sold on the strength of the main event, then I don't think anybody would have complained too much if it had clocked in at about 2.15, 2.20. I really don't. Not everybody needs to be on every card and you run the risk of diluting your pay-per-views. And let's not forget that Unforgiven is a B-level pay-per-view as it is. You don't want to drop that one in the pool still further so it starts falling down through the alphabet to the C's, the D's and the E's. And this 
very, very silly feud that Saturn and God bless them has done his very best to try to make work that was thrown together the week before in any event and only came about four months ago because he was punished for doffing up a jobber on something like heat. Good one for the heat residuals today. And didn't condone that at the time, not condoning it now, but I think he's paid his penance now and he's fallen in love with a mop as you do in Vince McMahon land. Very important caveat there. There were signs in this match that if they wanted to with Saturn, they could make something of him. And I think the fans would be behind him. I think his moveset is rather different than most of everybody else on the roster. And as we've seen with somebody else, we'll talk about a bit later on. Fans, if given the opportunity and the freedom to, will gravitate to that. But I do have my doubts as to whether or not it's going to happen. I think he's probably much like Moppy now, damaged goods. Lillian interviews Christian backstage. Tonight he has a chance to prove to the world what he has always known, that he is superior to his brother. When this event is written into the history books, it will be remembered as the event he wins the Intercontinental title. So let's find out with Edge defending the IC belt versus Christian. And yes, sorry, Christian, I did say Edge's name first. In what is a battle of the new music, Christian's half-great operatic theme, which is then ruined by drifting into what I think the super cool kids call butt rock, and Edge now having Mr. Rob Zombie on board. So this match has been brewing ever since Edge won the King of the Ring back in June. And again, it's basic storytelling, but at its very, very best. Edge wins the new trophy. Christian looks at it for just a little bit too long. He's just too keen to carry it with him and polish it and make sure he can see his own face in it. And it just built slowly week by week by week until in Toronto, where else? When Christian came up short against The Rock, he finally snapped and did for his brother and cut what must be said a very good promo on the SmackDown the next day as well, which is well worth seeking out. So it's heel Christian versus babyface Edge for his Intercontinental title. See, Christian, I put you first that time. There we go. We're equal. Edge isn't hanging about here, though, with a flapjack on his own and ramming his brother's head into the mat. I think we've seen the ramming of the head into the mat spot every match so far today. We get to the ramp with haste and they scrap right in front of the superb image of a paranoid Austin disappearing into his own mind. Fantastic work from the crew there. WWF production values. See, when they put their mind to things, this is what they can do. Just do it more often. A slingshot by Edge right into a support beam. That did not look fun. And then back to the ring we go. The 10 shot to the buckles by Edge. Woohoo! Christian begs, we need that spot more often. Christian begs for forgiveness, but the champ is not going to buy it. And rightly so, as Christian then gains control and says Edge and sends Edge to the rail and the steps on the outside. Heyman drops a reference to dear old Grandma Edna as the challenger calls his own brother a son of a bitch. Hmm. Might want to add some tipex to the certificate there. Christian is now clearly in control of the match, both in kayfabe and in reality. More on that shortly. And what a lovely power slam that was. Beautiful talk. Chops in the corner and then he soaks in the booze. But Edge fights back with chops of his own. Russian leg sweep by the IC champ and now both men are down. Edge gets up first and climbs the ropes, but Christian can just shove him off. The superplex is blocked and Edge goes for a top rope something. Copyright Bob Bamba 1993 to 1998. There you go, Pete. I did warn you, but lands <laughs> on his feet anyway. German suplex and now Edge is cut too. Is that a nice one? Dropkick by Christian for a near fall as he brings yet more trash talk. OK, but it's definitely not a nice cut, but at least it's under Edge's eye. Edge with some overhead kicks defend his brother off and they both collide on a double cross body. Ugh, I hate that spot. 
Both men are up, but Edge now feels the momentum with a series of clotheslines and a back body drop. Christian knows tries to sneak on the unprettier, but Edge sees it coming and gets two from that reverse DDT type thing. He then scampers under the ring solely to come out the other side and hit a crossbody of his own for a very good near fall. The challenger with a spear out of nowhere, and that almost got a three. Christian grabs two chairs, like he did in Toronto at the start of the month, and goes to give Edge another concerto, but this time the champion takes him down. And I think Edge is now going to exact some revenge. But no, none of the ref has anything to do with it. And because of that distraction, Christian gets off a swift low blow, rolls up his brother, hooks both the legs in a great touch, and gets the win, and becomes the new Intercontinental Champion. Peter? Yeah, I, I like the match. Uh, I think we were talking about the angle on Austin that builds into here. And I think this felt a little bit, you said to mention it was a slow build, the way that obviously the, the jealousy side of it came in after the King of the Ring. But it did feel like they pulled the, the trigger on Christian either too close to the pay-per-view or not far enough away to really build a back and forth on Raw and SmackDown enough before we got into this match. It felt a little bit, for me anyway, a little bit too close maybe to the pay-per-view just to build that little bit of they really want to... You know, yeah, they, really didn't nec- they didn't necessarily need to do it in Toronto. It gave them no. extra heat for doing so, but they could have done it before. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah I think it's just, it's just given Edge a chance to have a bit of a comeback and then back, a bit of back and forth before we got here because Edge tried to get the retribution here, didn't he, with that... Uh, chance of the, uh, the concerto at the end, and I loved the uh, under the ring spot. I was I didn't obviously uh, know the ending or what was going to happen at the end, but I thought the spear then and a pin would have been a really creative way of of slightly changing that mood by you know he's under the ring, the other side of the ring takes him by surprise, takes him out with a spear would have been a really good way to to end, but obviously it wasn't uh, quite booked that way. Um, I do think uh, the pair of them have got enough character and enough about them to to carry off uh, the feud going forward. Clearly, this is not over. It will obviously move on. Uh, good to see Christian get his opportunity. So I think, obviously, he's been looking for a chance to, to win uh, a title other than a tag team title with Edge, obviously. Um, I think I think there's just more to come from the pair of them. I think that's a good thing, though, because I think on television, both, I think I find Christian very entertaining. I love the, the gimmick of, you know, Nobody in the back, and it's like holding everybody back from trying to grab hold of me, trying to hug me and leave me. Like, he's got lots about him and so much charisma he's already shown uh, within this partnership. So I was quite surprised he won. It was a bit of a shock when, when he got the pin. Didn't like the low blow. That was a bit of a, but I guess at the same time, desperation. He wanted to win the match. However, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. So he took the opportunity and, and, and took the pin. And I guess he's happy as happy as Larry, to quote you kind of earlier on there a little bit. So, yeah, I think it could have been better. I think that it could have been a bit more heated. But I think because of the way they did it, it wasn't didn't quite have the heat that I would have liked it to have. But happy with the outcome. But I think there's a lot more to come from these two, which I'm quite pleased about. Yeah, I, I think they rushed it. I don't think they needed to, to have Christian turn on him in Toronto so close to the pay-per-view. If you're going to do it, I would just have done it at SummerSlam, right after Edge won the belt. Just hit him yeah. with the chair and just yeah. be like, I'm champion. Just as he thought he was, you know, he was delusional thinking he was the king of the ring for yeah. the last several months as well. Uh, I don't really like the booking here because I feel like you're backed into a corner. If you're trying to jumpstart Edge's singles run here, having him lose in his first pay-per-view title defense to uh, Christian isn't really going to help that. And you, at SummerSlam, I feel like you took two or three steps forward for that. And losing here, you're taking a couple steps back. You're not elevating him 
uh, like you're trying to. Uh, this seems to be an attempt to elevate Christian uh, maybe on the same level because realistically, if Christian were to probably lose here, he's probably plummeting down the card uh, if he can't beat his own his own brother. Uh, the, the match was okay. Uh, I didn't really find myself overly invested in it. And I think it has to do with how how soon after the turn this was. So there's no breathing. There's no more kind of build towards it. It's just kind of like here a week or two before the pay per view we're going to do it. So and I understand why they would do it in Toronto, as you guys said, for the extra heat or whatever. But I don't think it was a necessity uh, to do it then. Uh, and also, I kind of got the vibe. Really in the match, like it felt like Edge controlled a good portion of this compared to Christian. Christian had a cheat to win, which is fine for a heel, but I'm not anticipating Christian to have a long title reign. Just the vibe I got from this, it seemed like it's just designed to be very short lived. Like if there were to be a rematch tomorrow night on Raw, or if there were to be the rematch, a rematch at No Mercy, that it's just going to flip right back to Edge. Uh, and that's, and that kind of trend, in, right now for WWF is kind of bothersome because when you change the title so many times and right now they, it seems it feels like they have 20 championships because of all the different companies uh, involved but when you do so many title changes when you eventually do get a title change I find myself not as excited because it's like oh, okay cool Christian won here but you know by Smackdown it could be on Tajiri or something like it doesn't really and I could understand like the uh, the interest of like shock factor. You know, you never know what's going to happen. But to an extent, you're kind of sacrificing your your championship. So the fact that the Intercontinental Championship has changed hands now two months straight on pay per view. I don't know when the last time that's happened. I'm not a historian, uh, but that's just a, a concern for me. So hopefully Christian can hold on to it for a little a little while. But I. I don't think there's going to be much long of a chase here. I think Edge will certainly have it uh, by the by the end of the year again. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about the 20 championships thing after the pay-per-view during our invasion-based discussion. Yeah, this match, first off, I said there in my notes that I felt that Christian was controlling it, both in kayfabe and in reality. And that is enhanced by the comment you make there, Bob, that... Edge got most of the offense. Christian seemed to be aware of his own role here. Let's say that. And the fact that he knows deep down that it's the taller guy with the long flowing locks and the six pack who the Fed have really got their eye on. And you can say, and I do agree with you, that jobbing Edge a month after winning the IC title is not the smartest of moves. It isn't. But when, and I do think it's a case of when he wins it back, be it at the pay-per-view next month, which, judging by uh, the PW Torch and the Wrestling Observer, is going to be the plan anyway, then this will just be seen as a bit of a blip. Christian gave a very assured performance in this match, but he was aware of his own worth or lack of. And he was maybe trying, dare I say, too hard to give his real-life best friend the rub, even in defeat here. To the point where his own performance, as much as I liked it, is probably only really going to be noticed by students of the game, darling. And your average fan will just think that, yeah, Edge looked great in this match and he was cheated out of it, which is what they're going for. 
and they achieved it. But I think if you did question Christian about this, he'd say, yeah, you know what? I was just doing my job other than the last five seconds and I know what I'm here for. I hope it edges a sense of the top, which is the plan. I think it's probably at least two years out. He's clearly not ready in the ring in single jet edge. I reckon he'd probably even tell you that himself. He's a pretty self-effacing figure backstage by all accounts and very honest about it. But that's where we're going with this. It's going to take a while, but that is the end game. Everybody knows that. The match, therefore, was fine. I, too, really did like the underneath the ring crossbody spot. Very, very inventive, whoever it was that came up with it. And Christian hooking both legs so the other guy couldn't kick out after just being hit with a low blow. I thought that was great, too, because we see so many times where a low blow completely incapacitate somebody and it shouldn't really preclude you from kicking out you know if somebody struck me with a low blow kicking believe me is the very first thing I would be doing for very obvious reasons so that was just a nice little touch there that I got yeah this is just a very small pock mark on the map for the journey they're trying to say Christian being the IC champion on the Raw and Smackdown after this they are making it mean something by giving him the whole limo and fairly lengthy backstage vignettes. So it's not as if they're just burying him with the title or anything like that. But everybody, I think, is now aware of what he's being set up for. And for me, that came through during the match just a little too much. Oh, my goodness me. I've just looked at my notes. The Undertaker and Kane versus Chronic. Why do I do this? What did my boy Stevie Richards do to get lumbered with these two fucking schlubs? Andy has to accompany Chronic to the ring as well. <laughs> the a- <laughs> you knew that was coming. The action, uh, quotes, begins with some listless brawling on the outside as Taker then gets to work on his longtime buddy, Brian Adams. You can't tell me this is worth fighting for. Kane in now, and in as much as he ever remembered, Adams has just forgotten how to sell. He just kind of shakes his shoulders a bit after every move. Clark in now, and watching what he has to offer, I really wish that I had been the sole inhabitant of Three Mile Island. Awful kick for a two count, and he barely goes down off a neck breaker. They cock up a shoulder breaker, and friend of the show, Stevie, what do you see in this match? Taker with some nothing arm work and now a spot of old school, which does wake up the crowd a little bit, and a cross arm breaker? Yeah, not tonight, mate. The heels trap Taker in the corner, but they just can't come up with anything of note. Okay, that drop kick was approaching passable. I'll take what I can. Outside again now as I've just given up on play-by-play. But then so have they. Adams with another woeful kick. I mean, he barely even got it above ankle height. Why not just, I don't know, stick your hands in your pockets and have done with it? Timeline wormhole detected. Timeline wormhole repairing. Timeline wormhole repaired. Slammed by Adams, but after a tag, Undertaker with that DDT to Clark. I do like that one, sometimes. Kane in now, and he sees off both heels, but cannot quite double choke slam them. A clothesline is his, and now Taker is in, and, well, he seems to pause for a little bit, because both of Chronic were clearly out of position. Richards tries to salvage this, but he's only a miracle worker in my heart, it seems. Kane goes upstairs and clotheslines Adams. Clark then gets chokeslammed by Undertaker and again after what seemed to be some miscommunication. And it's finally time to kick off the bowling shoes. Or it will be after Richards gets a chokeslam too. Bob, 
I try to be nice on these programs. I really, really try. Even when The Undertaker is in the ring. Okay, maybe I don't try that hard there. But I can't offer anything here but my just shame. Uh, yeah, this is... <laughs> Listen, I liked Chronic in WCW, but in hindsight, that's because their matches tended to be about three and a half minutes long, and this went triple that amount of time. This was a brutal thing to watch. There's no reason for Chronic to be in a extended tag team match. I mean, anytime you get two big guys wrestling each other, it's slow plotting and pretty much boring. And now you have four guys doing it. It's pretty pretty brutal to watch. Uh, I have no interest in seeing Chronic in the WWF ever again. There's no reason for it unless, like I said, they're doing like three-minute squashes. But after a showcase like this, they need to be gone for a long while to a point where I just forget that they were even here. Uh, I did not enjoy this at all. And it's kind of disappointing because I liked Wrath. I liked Adam Bomb. But this was just a forgettable encounter. And, you know, Taker's probably getting, Taker's probably getting flashbacks to when he had brutal opponents from, like, 1993 till, you know, April of 96. So this is probably just reminding him of just horrible experiences in his life and he was trying to escape it but you know what sometimes those bad you know those bad ex-girlfriends gotta come back and this was the case here he had some bad (laughs) opponents and he had to deal with it for 10 minutes and hopefully he can move on pete show no mercy wasn't this um the undertaker's idea it was indeed his idea absolutely he brought them in so you know, you've got to put the not the blame all on his his shoes, but oh yes, you do. Oh well, yes, okay, you do. Okay, you do that. I do. I do. But but to make it go ten minutes was just. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if this had been three four minutes, as Bob said, with of a chronic a team like Chronic, haven't wrestled for whatever a year, whatever it's been now. So there clearly is a lot of dare I, dare I use the word ring rust with Chronic. I'm not sure you can actually say that, but they haven't been physically in a ring with anybody, particularly you know Undertaker and Kane. And then they've been on a couple of um, Raw and SmackDown where they put people through a table, haven't they, Undertaker? And Kane's nowhere to be seen because obviously he's still not quite 100% either. And you could clearly see that here. It was just a, a disaster. This should have either been a two, three minute squash and just see you later or a disqualification to allow them to try and do something with Chronic in the long term or the short term. But they had it go this long and... It was just a, an absolute disaster. And I think, you know, <laughs> the WCW tag team title probably is already very, very low on the pecking order. But, you know, with those two gunning for it, I mean, I, I believe that they won't be coming back based on this from what, what we can gather. But and that, that's not a shame, is it? We're not, not, um, not sad to see them go. But I think 10 minutes was just a crazy... Whether The Undertaker was trying to, as as Bob said, trying to allude back to those giant Gonzalez days, etc., etc., where he tries to pull something out of the bag with, you know, the utter drizzling shits of wrestlers, he, he couldn't do it then and he couldn't he can't do it now, you know. And, and poor Stephen Richards with his lovely uh, dyed black hair, which I, I, I noticed quite uh, prominently, <laughs> c- could not pull anything out of here at all. And it was just... A disaster from from beginning to end. The build up was okay because at least they came out and you could say they looked a little bit dominant because that's what they did in WCW. They came out, they kicked a bit of arse for two or three minutes, and they went to the back and took the money off somebody or whatever they said they did. That was their kind of role. That was their gimmick, wasn't it? That's what they did. Whereas 
putting them in a proper, you know, a 10-minute match isn't what these guys are about. So it was never going to work. The selling was horrendous. The, 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 the spots in Happy Undertaker was heard to, to shout suck quite a few times and, and get quite... I think he was getting more and more pissed off as it was going on as well. I can imagine backstage in the uh, locker room being quite a tasty place to have been after this. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall hanging around by these four at that point. So, uh, yeah, uh, worst match of... Got to be of the year so far in WWF, massively. So end of the year awards, another one there to uh, to think about, guys, going forward. As Wade Keller said in the PW Torch, they didn't really botch anything. And where pro wrestling has gone over the last four or five years with a lot more high-flying and action involving smaller guys, and we're used to seeing them slipping up the top rope and not quite landing right on a power bomb and things like that. And we deduct that from our star ratings don't we and that's what we mean when we say something's a bad match which isn't true or shouldn't be true but we're just watching for people to mess things up and that wasn't really the case here because they didn't set their bar especially high other than a few kicks and punches this was the central tenets of pro wrestling they weren't getting right their positioning they were light years out of place their basic selling was non-existent. Their timing was nothing whatsoever. These are the simple things that you shouldn't even really need to discuss in positive or negative terms, really, when you're analysing a pro wrestling match. They're taken as read that if you are a pro and you are on pay-per-view, WWF pay-per-view, then this stuff really needs to be... (laughs) Really needs to be the status quo. That's out of the box stuff, really. But when you get all of those things wrong, as they did, then you have to punish them. And the Federation have noticed this. They've gone over Undertaker's head. You can tell what I think about that one. And they try to send both the members of Chronic to one of, back to one of their developmentals, be it uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling or the Heartland Wrestling Association. But both Brian Clark and Brian Adams have told them on your bike. And it looks as though they have outright quit the promotion. They didn't want to hear it and they've had it away on their toes. Which is a very, very interesting reaction, isn't it? Am I being too fanciful to suggest that Undertaker promised them a pretty hefty push and then reality kicked in very shortly afterwards and they weren't ready for it and reacted the only way they could by just scarpering? I do wonder. Apparently there is some heat and not before time on The Undertaker for this decision and the manifestation that took place on pay-per-view in front of everybody who laid down 29.95 on September the 23rd. We'll see how long that lasts. I have my doubts. But make no mistake, this was an appalling professional wrestling match. And I'm not going to bother about sports entertainment or any of that bollocks. So I do hope against hope that we talk about this match again in three months time because it is the sort of pro wrestling match that you that you should not see at this level this is real sunday night town hall stuff you know when you see the poster peeling on your local lamppost that's the level we got here i don't expect this from professional wrestlers and we got it on one of the 12 pay-per-views that the wwf present throughout a year and that is Unacceptable. But I will say this. Stevie Richards rocking the Kinnicky from Greece look almost brought it back.
I have my biases, don't I, everybody? Shane and Booker are in the dressing room and they want to bring the WCW title home. And then Taz pops in to tell them to bring the WCW title home. But not before he brings up that Stephanie was able to pin the rock last week. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. Talk of the she-devil. Sorry, sorry, it was right there. She then appears and tells RVD through the dressing room door that tomorrow is her birthday. And if he wins, his experience in the Alliance will be a pleasurable one. Aye, aye. Chris Jericho, of course, hears this and drops... You know, I've got a great idea. Why don't we have a birthday party tomorrow for you? Yeah, that's great. I'll bring the cake. I'll bring the party favors. I'll bring the balloons. Well, actually, it looks like you've got the balloons covered, don't you? I just want to wish you the breast of luck, sweet cheeks. Heyman hates that. And so do I. Anyway, let's get back to the ring. And it is indeed RBD defending his hardcore title versus Mr. Chuckles himself, Chris Jericho. The crowd are clearly favouring RBD from the bell and lots more on that to come from us shortly. Some decent but perfunctory mat work in the early going and then they both miss a drop kick and it's a standoff in the ECW arena. Nicely done. Nice head scissors by Van Damme and the Steamboat Flare bridge backslide. That's well done too. But Pittsburgh aren't here for any of that nonsense, but they do pop for the chops. They then get a slightly sloppy near fall sequence out of the way. There is only one person being supported by the fans here today. Slugfest in shoes, followed by a forearm and an end security by Y2J for a two count. RBD with a backleg round kick and a leg scissors takedown. Very cool. Bizarre belly to belly by Jericho, where he drops RBD flat on his face, followed by yet another crossbody today. This time by Van Damme for a two count on the outside. He misses the spinning kick off the apron though, and now it's toy time. Jericho opts for a ladder, but just happens to be under the ring. It gets set back outside for now, though, and instead Y2J starts to work on Van Damme's shoulder. Ladder is here again, and Rob is suplexed hard onto it. There's no way to do that without leaving a mark, and a two count there as well. Van Damme then returns the favour. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Jericho is up and now looks for the walls, but RBD kicks him off, and a rolling thunder splash, that's a new one, gets a two. Split-legged moonsault gets knees, though, as this match is now definitely moving up a level. Bulldog by Jericho, but he can't get the lion salt yet. He does, though, get a kick right to the chops. And now he has a cut around the eye. I tell you what, Clearasil picked the wrong event to sponsor, didn't they? TCP, where are you when they need you? Jericho gets dropped toe-held into the ladder, and that can't have been enjoyable. Replay shows his head really did bounce into it on the rebound. Yikes. Mr. PPB climbs the ladder, but Jericho throws a chair at him, and it landed. And then we get a reprise of the Wars of Jericho spot on the ladder that we saw at the Rumble. Although, as JR says, this time it looked a bit more like a tarantula. RBD is then bounced all the way off and down to the floor. Jericho then boings off the ropes but hits the guardrail. They are leaving it all out there tonight, make no mistake. Jericho then turns back to the rumble again for the good old smack your opponent in their head with a chair off a suicide dive spot. But sadly, this time I don't get it quite on the money. Although RBD's brain cells probably don't mind much. Chris Jericho with a Fujiwara armbar. What are we doing? And now we get a nice amount of Y2J chance. He then goes to town on Van Damme's back with a chair to the point where Stephanie bounces down to help. He then swings for Stefan misses, but pays for it with the band Terminator. RVD then hauls himself up for the frog splash, and that will do it. Rob Van Damme retaining with the help of the billion dollar princess. Happy birthday, Stephanie. And here's JR, a five star frog splash for a five star match. Pete, I'd say that's probably a little strong, but they weren't a million miles away. Not at all. Easily match of the night, obviously, with what's gone before and what sort of goes afterwards. Uh, this was a hardcore title match. This sort of lends you back to when 
Rob Van Dam was the, the TV champion ECW for nearly two years. These were the matches he was having. So although they they were, obviously ECW had different sets of rules and they, they were outside the ring and chair shots. This was not your typical hardcore title match in any way, shape or form. This was uh, Rob Van Dam basically in, in essence all the way through. And, and Jericho did his, did his bit in the ring with Rob Van Dam. And, and I think... Well, obviously, we're going to talk about this a bit later on, but I mean, how over is Rob Van Dam right now in the Federation and with the fans and the fact that I think Jericho could, could clearly see that and uh, play into the, the performance. I did like um, the, 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 the whole sense of the moves that they were doing and it was just a bit of a, um, a chance to spotlight RVD. But I think... Rather than just going from this is what I do, my, my split legged moonsault into my next spot, into my next spot, they actually had a, a really good match in amongst all that. I mean, it was nearly well, 15 minutes, so it couldn't just be spot after spot after spot. They both told a, a story out here, and, and as you say, it built really nicely. Um, I like the fact that he got um, uh, the Van Daminator in, and also obviously the five star Frog Splash, that's a good start, uh, Frog Splash in to win as well. Um, that the rise of Rob Van Dam continues. Um, I wouldn't say five star, uh, but definitely match of the night. And I think Van Dam is just the, the winner in everything right now. Um, Jericho, he did play his part. I don't quite know where he sits in all of this sort of alliance and, and WWF stuff. I think he's just a, a good hand in there. And also he's a very good hand in here. Stephanie's involvement. I mean, the only thing you could say about Rob Van Dam, there's a bit of a lack of charisma on the mic. I don't think he's quite that guy, is he? But clearly in the ring, he's got so much to offer and so much different things that we've not seen before or the crowd, the audience haven't seen before as well. So, yeah, uh, great match. Really enjoyed it and just sort of redefined what a hardcore match can be about bringing a trolley load of weapons out in a dustbin and just... We've seen that a million times. This was a, a different different slant on it, and I really enjoyed it. Bob, your thoughts on this match and the undoubted popularity, and nobody doubts it now, of Rob Van Dam? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as uh, Peter did. I mean, it was a good, hardcore match. Um, I'm just having a tough time with uh, kind of like what the hardcore title kind of entails because for years it was seen as a comedy thing and a set like a not even a secondary championship like even below that and you know with Rob Van Dam being the champion I mean I don't really see it being of any importance nor should it be because it's just hardcore wrestling I don't think it really matters uh on a television sense but uh, when it comes to hardcore wrestling, I normally just sit here and just mindlessly watch it, and I kind of felt the same way here. Is it better than, uh, you know, what we've seen in the past several months? Sure, but I just don't really care for it. I don't really care for this continued on Jericho Stephanie feud that's been going on for the better part of a year. Uh, that feels played out. It's played out similar to the Dudleys and Hardys being in the finals, two tag teams of the opening contest. When there's so much talent right now on on the payroll, I feel like there shouldn't be so much redundancy going on here. Uh, this match kind of felt, to some extent, it felt like 
the old kid who was trying, like the old cool kid at school trying to fight off the brand new cool kid coming in. So, you know, Jericho is arguably the second top babyface uh, in 2000 and, you know, when, before Austin came back. And he's trying to, like, hold on to that spot, but he's slipping away uh, noticeably, I think. And Rob Van Dam is noticeably going further and further up the card. I would try to get Rob Van Dam out of the hardcore division as soon as possible. You did your matches with Jeff Hardy both on pay-per-view and on SmackDown, if I'm remembering correctly, and they were great matches, no doubt about it. I would take those matches over this one personally. Um, there's no denying that Rob Van Dam is being maybe the sole highlight of the Alliance members. And I think given some time, he could be a, he could be a world champion. I think people get behind that. I have no, pro- he does struggle with, with promos, I guess you could say. He's not very sharp in that regard, but I'm not paying to see Rob Van Dam talk. I mean, that, I don't think I anticipate him ever kind of talking me into something. Just show me highlight. If you show me a two minute highlight video of what this guy can do, that's going to be more effective to get me to go watch him than him talking for two minutes. And I think that's, that's not a detriment to him at all. Um, but I would have actually preferred to see these guys probably wrestle in a more traditional match. I think it would have been a lot better. Uh, but I mean, they, they did what they could for having the stipulation that they did. And considering the stipulation, I don't like that Stephanie had to get involved. This is Robbie and this is RVD's type of match, arguably a master of it. Just have him beat Jericho. I think Jericho as a baby face is played out and, uh, they've got to switch him up pretty soon because I'm honestly kind of feeling bored. Uh, with with Jericho, but I'm certainly not bored with Rob Van Dam. The WWF so often don't listen to the fans. They tell us they do, but they don't. We know for a while that they don't. On this occasion, with Rob Van Dam, they really, really have. And they don't give us any of this nonsense about a mixed reaction or anything like that. They just have their commentators come out and say it. People like Rob Van Dam. We can all hear it. We don't need our intelligence insulted by the WWF trying to ignore it or sugarcoat it to their own ends. They're outright saying it. He might be aligned with the heel group, but people like this guy. And that is so refreshing. But you know there's a however coming right now. And you mentioned it just now, Bob, because he is organically getting over by doing stuff that nobody else does in the Federation. A true sight for sore eyes of your average WWF fan. And because of that, sight for sore eyes pun very much intended. Of course they have Stephanie McMahon glom onto him. Of course they do. They had a rematch on SmackDown after this where she took about three or four of the bumps in the entire match for the sake of him. Of course she did. But they just cannot help themselves. They just, how much more... Reflected glory do they need to bask in? Haven't they got their own? Can't they just let RVD ascend to these heights, again, pun intended, by doing what he's doing? Now, what more do they need, for goodness sake? I mean, it's just so fucking frustrating. We just don't know when to leave alone. 
I'll talk more about RVD, I'm sure, a little later on. But this match, I thought I'm closer to Pete on this one. I thought it was really, really good. One thing I will say about Jericho is that this style of match is becoming his forte. I don't think he'd like to hear that very much. I still think he would have himself down as a better in-ring worker than he really is. But the more WWF-styled matches he's in, I think are his better ones. Think Triple H at Fully Loaded last year. And some of the more technical battles don't really come off as well for my liking. But this one, his timing was good. His use of the weapons was good. He mixed it up when he needed to. He got aggressive at the right opportunities. I thought the finish was really well done. There was a lot to it. I had to amend my notes a couple of times to make sure I caught everything. But they hit every last beam of it. And, Bob, I'm not quite as worried as you are about RBD being the hardcore title. I do think he is elevating it. What you say about what the belt has been over the last couple of years, very close to a non-entity. I totally agree with you on. But I think they're making something of it now. Having said that, I don't think RBD necessarily needs to carry it for much longer. I do wonder what his ceiling is, because we all know that this wasn't meant to happen. And he wasn't meant to be mixing it up with the McMahons and Steve Austin and Kurt Angle. Again, to the Fed's credit, they're letting it happen, but they're still letting it happen their way. And if I was Chris Lacey, I wouldn't be too excited about RBD's immediate future just yet. It's encouraging. They're doing some of the right things, which is more than they usually do in this circumstance. But I think a major dose of caution needs to be held very, very close in my usual mixed metaphor of the evening. Let's get to our next match. Oh, look, it's a McMahon in the match again. Oh, brilliant. Teaming up with Booker T to go for the Rocks WCW title. Oh, my word. Just once, guys, eh? Just once. Big stare down between Rock and Booker to start. And I am already thinking they should have just done a straight up rematch from SummerSlam here. But we know. We all know. And now he waddles in to break up an early pinfall attempt. The crowd also know as a Shane's a pussy chant goes up. Rock with some sharp two counts and then Book tags out. Shane runs around the ring, but Rocky cuts him off easily. However, Booker kicks him in the back and now Shane is able to go to Village on the WCW jump. Booker back in now and a two count off a side slam. Nick Patrick is in charge for this one, by the way. Double teaming in shoes. And one thing I will say about Shane, he clearly enjoys every minute of this. <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. We get the Shano shuffle, and yes, I really fucking typed that, but Rock reacts to that the same way I would. Although my sharpshooter might have been better. Booker cuts that one off, and I don't think this match has really started yet. Shane with a diving clothesline out by the ramp, and more distraction by Booker, allows Shane to grab the ball by the horns, if you will. Nice one, Heyman. Rock kicks out at one, and then just leverage moves Booker all the way over the top. He takes another clothesline by the boy Wonder, though. Getting the picture yet? Book misses with a chair shot, but once more, Shane gets a punch in. The dynamic of the story is preventing any real match breaking out, and it's far too noticeable. Knee to the face by Booker, and then it's spin a Rooney time, and it gets a bit of a pop. Watch that. Rock with a quick roll-up, and then Booker can only just kick out. The challenger puts Rocky down again, though, and sets him up on the announce table, but not quickly enough for Shane to hit the elbow. Samoan drop by the Brahma Bull as Shane has his hands on the WCW title belt. He goes to nail the rock with it, but you know how that one ends. On the second attempt, he does hit his target, though, and right in front of Nick Patrick to boost. Booker reacts first and drapes the arm, but Rock can get his shoulder up. 
Sheamus back up though, however, only to miss the elbow. I mean, we all knew he was going to try it. He swiftly tags back to Booker, but the champ is able to fight them both off until T gets a knee to the midsection. But Rocky is back with a double clothesline. DDT to Booker, but he is able to kick out. Shane kips up. Oh, please. And now goes for the Shano elbow. Make it stop. Thankfully, Rock does with a rock bottom and then a spine buster to Booker. It's not people's elbow time, though, as bloody Test is here to interfere. Have I not suffered enough? Bradshaw is around to chase him off, and then we reset with all three men in the match currently down. Patrick helpfully rolls Rocky back in, and now it's time for another drape of the arm pin, this time by Shane, until he is pulled out of the ring by Mike Kyoto. Booker then goes for a cover, but gets two, and Kyoto then sorts out Patrick. Yeah, we've had discussions on these programs before about comparing overbooking to a lot of booking, and this is definitely the former. There's a big difference. Book tries the bookend, but it's blocked. Rock now tries the rock bottom, and that isn't, but no referee. So Savior, oh heaven, a pants his way down to the ring, though, for the one, two, the three. Bob, a lot going on there. Not much of it good, again, to give you my early opinions. Your opinions, however, and on... Rock even holding the WCW title. I have my issues with that. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of handicap matches. Uh, certainly not even on pay-per-view. At the maybe I'm fine with it on television, but the whole the whole premise of a handicap match should always kind of be like whoever is the underdog uh, should probably lose because anytime it's two against one or three against one, three against two, whichever, you have to be probably a complete moron to not be able to beat one person if you have at least another person with you. You should be able to figure it out. So in that regard, it kind of makes Booker specifically look like a moron that he can't beat Rock even with some level of assistance from Shane. I didn't really enjoy the match. I hate what they're doing with Booker T. Uh, He's probably the one guy from WCW that should be protected and elevated and, and be seen as a more of a big deal. But this just feels like the WF trying to diminish him because you can make the argument that towards the end of WCW, they were presenting him as a, a rock light, so to speak, with various catchphrases and finishing moves for that matter. Um, does the rock need to be the WCW world champion? Absolutely not. Should he be the champion? No. I would have the Alliance have both of the championships uh, because that's how you lend their credibility. I don't know why Booker – I understand why Booker lost at SummerSlam to uh, to Rock because, you know, the grand return, whatever. That's fine and dandy. But right here, I would have put it right back on Booker. As you noted, they had other people, even more people get involved. So even if it's with a schmaz, whatever the case is, just put the belt – Back on Booker, especially considering what's going on uh, later on in the night. That way it's balanced back out again. But instead, we continue to make the alliance look weak and really have no game plan to beat one guy when they have two. So I did not did not like the outcome, presentation, anything going on here. And I wish that Booker would be presented much better than he has been. Pete, what have we got? So, I feel like I've been on this show for a a few years now, and almost every show I'm on, I'm always talking about Booker T. 
<laughs> yes, that's probably true. It's true. We, isn't need it? to, uh, we need to crunch the numbers on that one. If, if you go back in the archives, everybody, please feel free to do so because it feels like every time I talk about the guy, he's he's underused. He's he's just not valued. He's he's he's. Right, I know he's been injured a little bit as well, but he's never quite. They've never hit the button on the guy and let him be really who he should have been. And I think they had a chance, obviously, with him coming into the WF to, to as as Bob said there, to be the WCW champion in the alliance and have that little bit of dominance and build this guy into something. The Rock we know is an absolute megastar, a superstar. You know, that's never going to change now. The guy is where he is. But he's taken a while to get there. But he had the good graces of other people giving him the opportunity and the, the win-loss record clearly in his favour. Booker T just doesn't get that. And... The fact that he has Shane McMahon playing the tough guy in the match, he's the guy who's going around breaking up, you know, pinfalls and clotheslining the rock and taking the rock down and making the rock sell for him in all of this is just crazy. And then to not win it at the end and to lose, it's just a burial. It's an absolute burial of Booker T. Uh, not even Shane being there could could elevate it, it at all. I think it's just such a such a, a shame. The guy's got enough talent. He's got, I like Bob's reference about sort of the rock light. It's very true. A spinneroony is a bit like the, the people's elbow. It's something that gets the, the pops the crowd a little bit. He's got a great move set. He's got a great personality. He's got a great character. He's good on the mic. He's good in the ring. Can I sell the guy anymore? No. Do the others sell him massively? Yes, they do. And it's such a shame. It really is. I, I can't see him recovering now. I really can't. It's going to take a lot to, to build him back up. I think five times will be literally where. Uh, Booker T stays for quite a long time going forward. So a real shame. Uh, just a waste, really. Just just a real shame. The Rock didn't get anything out of this. We're quite right. He shouldn't be a champion. He doesn't need to be a champion. He needs to be elevating the alliance, you know, going up against them more so and challenging them in a different way, you know, chasing them down or being taken out by them and making them dominant. But as it stands, they look like absolute chumps and it's just a, a shame. But I've said it so many times, I can't believe it. I think that one's... You've definitely talked about it more than five times, five times, five times, five times, five times. <laughs> five times, five times <laughs> oh, I missed that one, didn't I? I'm not going to repeat how many times it is, though, because we'll be here for a while if I do it that way. So, <laughs> but We're all next on, I'll, I'll, because I'm sure you'll be talking about Booker T then as well, Peter. So yeah, I'll do the 26 times, 26 times, 26 times then. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd have any of the WCW titles even involved in this feud. Just thinking about it, you know, I suppose you've got to. But when you just have an exchange of belts, which goes on again on the Raw and Smackdown after this, and we'll talk about this more in a few minutes time, but just endlessly switching the belts between the two teams, nothing is ever really made of it. Then you are probably without even trying to you're devaluing the WCW titles here. Now, if Vince wanted to, and he knew about it, then believe me, he would. But I think even here, it's an unintended consequence. And just having The Rock walk around with the WCW belt and having to say in interviews that how proud he is to hold it and all these name drops to Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, and it all seems a little bit too contrived to me. And it isn't an easy fit. And nobody, the storyline, the situation, the people involved are helped by The Rock winning and holding the WCW title. And the match to get there today, it took a really long time for a match to break out. It was just 
far too much of Shane nonsense. I'm just there hopping around like a semi-house trained polecat for 10 minutes. And by the time anything actually properly happened that resembled a pro wrestling match, he was the one in the ascendant. Rock having to sell for his clothesline, I mean, I, I tell you, I tell you, that's all I need to say on that one. If I ever get the chance, I will. OK, I don't know what I do, but I'm going to do it and I'm really going to do it. So Shane, be warned. OK. And when your match ends after a run in from Mike Kyoto, then, yeah, we're we've got too many pages on the booking sheet, haven't we? Yeah. Just think about the environment, guys, and just put it all on one sheet. Yeah. Just because you've got an 80 page loose leaf file doesn't mean you have to fill it up from the front page to the back. Mike Kyoto's doing a run in. Yeah, I think we can probably put a big red line through that one. And I didn't mind their match at SummerSlam. I thought it was basic, but that's all it really needed to be. They hit the level that they set for themselves. Here, I don't know if it's whether Rock was unsure at how to handle the match himself, whether they thought Booker was going to lead it and he wasn't quite up to it. I'm sure other people other than Shane will get the blame for this one, but it was really, really messy. And it was a handicap match without any of the drama that a handicap match should automatically have put into it. As Bob says, if the babyface manages to eke out the win in a handicap match, then that really should be something special. But we all knew it was going to happen here because they're not going to put the belt back on Booker T. No, that's a title hot shot now they're not going to do. So it was really just a waste of 15, 16 minutes. And dare I say it, a waste of the rock. This was his most underwhelming pay-per-view match for a very long time. He is the golden goose and constantly laying eggs. You're never going to go hungry. But it's one of those where just because you can take the risk doesn't mean you should. And the rock's going to come back from this because he's the fucking rock, for goodness sake. But just because you can doesn't mean you should. You know, you're told that when you're four years old, you know, I could easily lick up my fingers right now and stick them in the electric socket. Probably not going to end very well if I do it, though. So I'm just going to sit here in my chair and talk about the WWF for a little while longer, if it's all the same with you. Just back on Booker, though, I'm not sure it's necessarily a burial of Booker. I think Vince does like him. And the Vince McMahon booked final edition of Nitro in March. Booker T won the world title there for a reason. And he's still rubbing shoulders with the big fellas coming out of this pay-per-view. But there probably is a question that they're not using him correctly. And as long as the other people on the roster are still the other people on the roster, they probably never will. And I agree that that is a shame. Two matches to go. Tajiri is competing tonight, despite the rib injury he sustained last week. Regal reluctantly allows Tory, who has taken quite the shine to the bustle over the last few weeks, to accompany him to ringside for his title defence shortly. First, though, we cut to WWF New York, where Stacy is about to snip some guy's beard, but then tells us somebody else has already had a clean shave today. Oh, it turns out she only meant her legs. <laughs> That's the not at all gratuitous shot of her in the bath proofs. It should be noted that all of this plays out with the soundtrack of what used to be Sonny's music in the changing of the garden and all that. Right, let's get to our US title match before the show gets shut down. Tajiri versus Rhino. You know, they're listening. All this one's going to need the explicit tag. Tajiri versus Rhino. Tajiri with a springboard moonsault after, after barely any time at all, so they are not being paid by the hour in this match. Drop kicks to the leg by Tajiri and yet more chops today. What is causing all of this? Power slam by Rhino for a two. 
A weak We Want Puppies chant can be heard as Rhino grinds on the champion's necks. Rana by Tajiri and on a great spinning heel kick, but no victory as of yet. He then gets met with a massive spine buster and can barely kick out. And now Tori expresses concern about her man's well-being. She runs away from Rhino but slips in her heels and now the big fella teases a gore. Tajiri though blocks it with a kick, but only for a count of two. It's time now for the real Tarantula Jericho, but he can't hold the challenger down due to the injured ribs. Big overhead slam by Rhino and now a defenseless Tajiri is easy prey for the gore, gore, gore. Cough, cough, cough. And now we have ourselves a title change. Pete Waller reached for a glass of water, or something probably a bit stronger. Talk us through this very brief but very energetic match. I really like uh, like Rhino and I like what he's all about. I think this is a perfect uh, sort of length of match for him to be in. I think Tajiri's shown a little bit of character over the last month on TV. The Tory Wilson thing, I don't think anybody quite gets it. Or even the characters on the show aren't quite sure what's going on here between those two but it's nice to have a trot out you know every now and then on, on the side of the ring I suppose that's one thing we can be thankful for um, I think these two I know in ECW had some really uh, yeah, some, some some strong matches that were you know far more brutal than, than this um, this is very much a WWF sort of Tajir Rhino match but I think Rhino sets them up really well it reminds me a little bit of, I'm not going to, it's not meant to sound directly, but a bit like almost like a Goldberg style of Rhino, that he's got the move set, he's quite an intense guy, he storms that, he wants to basically kick your ass and, and, and get to the end and get to the gore and then walk out again. And I quite like that about him, and I quite like the way they're, they're doing a lot with him. I think having another title around his waist makes sense. I think he made a bit of a splash when he first came in. Um, I think there's something there. Obviously, he was the last ECW world champion, so there's something about Ryan I think that needs to tap into. And Tajiri just seems to be a good guy to have to have these type of matches. Uh, he can hold his own in there, I think, with some of the bigger guys as well. So no, I think it was quite a nice little 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 energizer before we got to the the big main event. So no complaints from me, and uh, yeah, pretty decent. Yeah, quick and to the point here, Bob. I thought. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's like a, I think it's like sub five minutes or whatever, so it's not really on the uh, on the on the pay per view for all that long. And I agree with Peter. I like uh, I like both guys, but I think Rhino really could be a, a breakout guy for the Alliance as well. Uh, and hopefully, with winning the United States Championship, he kind of gets some level of elevation. Uh, I believe leading into this, he technically pinned the Rock, so that definitely helps. Um, his credibility, and if you go back to his ECW run, especially the last probably eight or nine months of that, Rhino is more than capable of being a badass heel and someone that could terrorize the uh, World Wrestling Federation. So I I liked the outcome here. I liked the match, and I like both guys, and hopefully uh, Rhino can kind of be uh, – another viable threat that, you know, Booker T has uh, kind of tumbled down from being. So I, the idea of Austin and Rhino kind of being a one-two combo for the Alliance uh, could be a lot of fun. Yeah, in the hands of you-know-who, Rhino could easily have been saddled with a Mantor 2.0 gimmick. And I suppose there's still time. So just in case that does happen, and it's always a danger, I think we should be thankful for what we have. And they're getting the presentation of him bang on, in my opinion. He's there. He's on the fringes of the main events, isn't he? He's, and he's rubbing shoulders with the big boys whilst not 
always getting properly involved with them outside of a TV main event here and there. But I think that's okay for now. I think his style is something that the WWF really go for as well. It's quick, it's effective, it's not especially showy. It's all about big moves and high impact. And with Heyman there doing God's work on the microphone, far better than I ever could. How he hasn't done himself a mischief on commentary, saying the G word three times a day for the last five months is beyond me. But there you go. That's why he gets paid the big um, bucks. And some of us don't. And I think the future's potentially bright for Rhino. He's just... Just looking at him, though, you always fear the comedy face turn, don't you? And he's going to be wearing the antlers and maybe a Rudolph nose on the Christmas edition. Again, I probably shouldn't be giving them ideas, but it's always that sort of thing is always lurking, dealing with what we're dealing with here. But yeah, strong match, good four minutes. The Jerry selling's fantastic. And he's just worked up a natural rapport with the crowd over the last few months. He's where he should be. I love his interactions with Regal. I'm sure he loves his interactions with Tory. And you can't say anything bad about any of that. Right then, Bob, it's time to lay down that 29.95 for our main event. Stone Cold Steve Austin defending the WWF title for the second consecutive month against the hometown boy, Kurt Angle. Here we go. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. After a video package recapping the stuff we spoke about earlier, the main event has indeed arrived. Angle is out first, and what a pop he gets from his hometown crowd. It was always going to happen, of course, but that doesn't make it any less of a moment. Glorious, spine-tingling stuff. Austin is next, but Angle is right on top of him, which is exactly as he should be. He gets him everything he can before the bell rings, and then we're officially underway. Austin sort of goes for an early stunner, but plays up how tentative he is after Angle kicked out of three last month. Great little work there. Always the small things that Austin gets right in this role. Angle with chops as Austin reels on the top rope, and his selling is brilliant, making us feel every fibre of every connection. He eventually topples off and once more Kurt is just on him. Hard punches by the hometown hero, and he carries Austin onto the top rope again. Big superplex, but the challenger jarred his neck as he hit it, so a two count is the result. Angle is not fucking about here and lays in every single punch. The Stone Cold gets to slap on a sleeper in the middle of the ring, but only to be met with a jaw jacker. Mm-hmm. Position heal myself. There's an odd hush over the crowd now, but to my ears it's due to a fear that this one isn't going to end the right way. Let's just see how that goes. The Rattlesnake tries to walk away with the belt, so maybe they've got a point. But Angle's not having that, and he wipes them out on the ramp. There's nothing pretty about what Kurt is displaying today, and it is entirely warranted. See also him slinging Austin off the ramp and down to the concrete floor. Payback to the September the 10th edition of Raw. Angle then gives Austin the double bird and the fuck you, and what a sight that is. As with everything Kurt Angle turns his hand to, it's perfectly executed. I believe him. He carries the champion all the way back to the ring, then fires him headfirst into the ring post in another callback, this time to SummerSlam. Have another one now, everybody, as Kurt now peels back the mats, but this time Stone Cold can cut him off. Hard shot to the announce table by Austin, then some kicks to the kidneys, and oh no, he's going to pole drive him on the floor again. No, this time Angle is able to counter with a backdrop. This match really does reward careful watches. And now the Olympic hero is going to try again, but now here's backdrop. Austin bladed at some point of the last minute or so, and I must say I missed when that was. Uh, now they try a suplex out on the floor, but Steve counters with a gourd buster onto the Spanish announce table. Make that three of them. They're telling a very different story in this one to last month, but once more I am sat, cross-legged and open-mouthed right in front of them. In the ring they trade big punches, but Austin with another knee to the gut. Angle favours his neck as Austin zeroes right in on it. Stone Cold glares at Angle's family in the front row and makes sure they watch every punch and kick he is delivering to their boy. Stupendous heel work once more. And I typed that before he flipped off Angle's wife. 
And I should say, she responded very much in kind. Angle is now carried by adrenaline and passion, but perhaps because of that, he can't really get anything going. But he does, though, kick out from an axe handle. Austin grinds it down with a headlock on the mat as the crowd will their hero to his feet. And now, though, he is ready for the knee to the gut and rolls into a package for a close fall. That was good. Austin with a roll-up of his own for two. They then trade clubbing punches to each other's backs, and this really is something we don't see a lot of these days. Three German suplexes by Kurt Angle are a little closer to home, but he is holding his neck and head again. Angle now thinking about the moonsault, but he doesn't get to do so for too long because Austin suplexes him off. But Angle switches his weight. One, two, Austin out. Oh, that was close again. Austin with a desperation spine buster and now a good old low blow. Angle is right out in front of his family and they beg him to get up and keep fighting. But it may all be in vain as Austin seems to have him right where he wants him. But Angle is now more than happy to respond with a diabolical low blow. DDT by Angle, but Austin is able to roll out of the ring. Angle waits and waits and waits and then hits Austin with the stunner. One, two, kick out. Oh, what a way to do it that would have been. But instead, down come the straps. But Austin counters the angle slam with one of his own. One, two, angle is up at 2.9 in an amazing kick out. Austin goes for a pile driver again, but Kurt is dead weight. But on the fourth try, he's finally able to do it. Great sell by angle on that. And one, two, no, angle's out for the third time. Austin really cannot beat this guy. He demands that the challenger get up and he is primed to give him the stunner. He does give him the fingers, but no, Angle has switched it into the ankle lock. Austin crawls for the ropes, but he gets pulled back. He does manage to reach for the apron, but never mind about that just for now. As you've just heard, Kurt Angle is the WWF champion. The entire family pour into the ring and they lift the champion high on their shoulders. Then the WWF babyface locker room are here to join the celebrations too. Here's JR. And I'm going to drop my veneer of impartiality and say, JR, you are damn fucking right. Bob, a lot in many ways to unpack there. Do your worst. Okay, so I, I like the match. I enjoyed it. It felt like a fight. The intensity was there. Uh, and it's the right decision. I think Kurt Angle winning the WWF World Championship is what should happen here. It's, he's in his hometown. Pittsburgh, PA, the pop is great. My issue that I, I noted before was that they gave Austin an out because he had his hands on the apron, which would should mean a rope break. Tech, or the, the hold should be broken because he is outside the ring, whatever the case is. So they gave him an out. So that is my only only issue. I thought if if he just if he just sits down, locks his legs in and has him tap out right in the middle, you get that feel good moment of your top baby fight, baby face getting the ultimate revenge from dating back from July when Austin kicked him in the face and then the whole gold medal thing and then attempting to break his neck. All those things 
should have just led to a clean submission victory, something that's a rarity for Steve Austin to tap out. That is a rarity. Uh, but instead, they had to do the one minor thing that is going to drive me nuts, and that was to let Austin get his hands on the ring skirt, which should ultimately ultimately mean that the submission does not count. But they glazed over that, kind of ignored it. That's my only gripe. Does it take away from the match for me? No, it does not. I still really enjoyed it. But I just wish, for the love of God, it's not complicated. Just give your top eight face a clean win, and I would have been perfectly thrilled about it. But only right now, I'm just okay with it. Not perfectly thrilled. I'm just okay with it. Uh, okay. Does okay equal twenty nine ninety five, Bob? I would okay. I don't think I wasted my money on the main event. Yeah, if that's what you're asking, I don't think I wasted. It's, it's, it's but, the question I always ask you, Bob, since Starcade '98. Yeah, well, <laughs> and at, at the end of it, it's just a level of disappointment. It's just like, come yeah. on, just let him win. I don't feel, okay. I, I don't feel gypped. Like if it was a countout or disqualification, oh yeah, I would have been pissed. But at least there's some level of outcome. But I don't feel like I was robbed of my money by any means on the main event. Pete, Kurt Angle, WWF champion. What did you think of how we got there? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds good. It's got a nice ring to it, isn't it? I think it, it makes sense. It worked as it should have done. The build was there. This was the only outcome. With all that's gone on in the month of September, all of it, every single part of September, even in the in the wrestling ring, this was the, the right outcome. I've just sort of listened to what Bob said there, and I think he makes a really good point, because if he'd won clean... Austin would still want a rematch, wouldn't he? He'd still be pissed off on Raw the next night, campaigning on SmackDown. He'd want the rematch. This is not over, you know. And he would get it, wouldn't he? Because he's Steve Austin and he's he, he, he is that, that character. That's what he would expect. So to give him that opportunity to say, well, actually, this should never actually ended because he tapped out really quickly as well, didn't he? It was quite a quick tap from Austin to it. Mm. Yeah, going back to when Bret Hart had him in that sharpshooter for a hell of a long time and the blood pouring down his face was quite an image to, to tap out as quick as he did. But knowing he had that hand on that ring skirt, maybe, in the back of his mind, is saying that I'm going to get an opportunity here quicker than maybe I deserve after all this shenanigans of the last month. So I guess that's a, a really good point to, to bring up. But I think in the emotion of what was going on here, this was, was perfect. It was a fight. It was... You know, Angle was just that determined, you know, proper baby face who's trying to, you know, bring home the win for, for everybody. You know, not only, you know, Pittsburgh and the WF, you know, America, as it were. And all, just the whole thing just, just worked really well for me. And, and it should have done. This is how it should have ended. It's how it should have should have happened. Uh, the perfect finish to, to, the, to the, the month-long build we've had. Um, I quite like the way that, obviously, because he, he, he shortcutted his way out of the last match by, you know, punching all the referees, that Hayden was almost like saying, just stay down for the count out, just take it. And Austin actually got up and got back in the ring, didn't he, and carried on the match, which I think surprised Heyman in the in the storyline. He could take the easy way out at any point during the match and take a shortcut and just walk out with the title, which probably, probably would have caused a riot in the arena, an absolute riot. So I'm glad we didn't go down that road and and piss off everyone who paid the money to go and watch it there live and at home. They, they gave the, the right end. But 
I was waiting to hear what Bob had to say at the very start of the show, and there he does make a really good point that it has given it that, you know, it wasn't quite the clean, surefire win and hit that it probably should have been, but it was more than enough to end on a high. The ring filled up with people. You know, it's a, it's a really good feeling. I think we needed that. I think the WF needed that. I think the audience needed that. So it was definitely the right result. Right, the match first, a very different one to SummerSlam, as it needed to be. In the match at SummerSlam, both guys wrestled their type of match, and it was all the better for it. I didn't get a chance to talk about that one last month. I'm going to make sure I do in three months' time. I've mentioned that on the show already. Guys, it's going to happen, okay, in the Best Match of the Year award. There we go. This one probably won't quite get there. Uh, the reason this was so different is because of a word you use there, Pete, determined to describe Angle. And here he just threw all the nice stuff out the window. All the suplexes, all the mat work, didn't fucking matter. So he was on Austin before, from before the very first bell. And he was just going to knock seven further bells out of Austin to try to get the WWF title. Because he knew if there was any life in Austin whatsoever, that he, just like he did last month, would try and weasel his way out of it. So he just wanted to destroy him in this match by any way he possibly could. And if that means giving him a low blow and kicking him right up against the guardrail and giving him the double bird, then fuck me, Angle's going to do it. And again, his intensity as a babyface is incalculably good. Now, people think I've got shares in Kurt Angle or something, and I really wish I did, to be perfectly honest with you. No, not, not that I'd be selling them anytime soon, but my goodness me, he just cannot put a foot wrong. It's just glorious performance. Austin, of course, was Austin heel throughout. I loved, loved, loved him teasing going for the stunner in the first 30 seconds and then thinking better of it, as if to say, oh, God, I tried this a month ago and it didn't work. Do I really want on my conscience now Angle kicking out of my move within 30 seconds of the match? No, nah, I think I'll leave it. And it was hard hitting. It was quite basic stuff. So there wasn't a whole lot intrinsically going on like in the previous month's matches and what we've seen from the best of Kurt Angle. But it didn't need it to be. He was fired up, Kurt Angle. He was in his hometown. Everything that has happened this month, he was hell-bent on becoming a WWF champion. And I am delighted to say the, the book has agreed and they put the belt on him. But you are right to bring up the finish. And they're not telling an especially cute story out of this either. I mean, the next day on Raw, you've just got Shane effectively bullying Earl Hebner into watching a video of the match and to say, yes, I made a mistake. Austin had his hand on the apron. The tap out shouldn't have counted. And that's all they did with it. No announcement of a rematch has been made. I'm going to say that they'll probably go for it one more time. I would imagine at the No Mercy pay-per-view. I don't know what the result's going to be, but it did take away. I tried there in the notes to, to ignore it, but you can't because it's so glaring. And the fact that Austin did tap out within two or three seconds whilst I was still typing some of the notes about the kickouts about 30 seconds earlier. You know, they've got themselves almost too much of a storyline reason now to give Austin a rematch. And you're right, they don't need to do that. He's Steve Austin. He's the head of the alliance. If he wants to have a rematch with Kurt Angle, somebody will pull the strings and he'll get one. I've talked about them underthinking elements of this pay-per-view. Here, they overthought it. It didn't really detract from Angle's title win because I am the world's biggest Kurt Angle fan. 
probably with a lot of competition, but I'm going to put it out there. I want to be anyway, and I wasn't going to let it get to me. And when he's celebrating with his family, WWF baby faces, it's okay at that point. That night, I was okay with it. When I was reminded on when I was reminded of it on Raw the next day, then it clicked with me that yeah, they didn't need to go there, and they must have known that when we did the podcast the next week, we were all going to bring it up. I'm sure they probably did. One more thing about Angle, though, just to try to offer a bit of balance, as difficult as it is. He 100% had to win the world title here. There was no other option. Okay, Kurt Angle, Pittsburgh, WWF title, 12 days after September the 11th. Kurt Angle must, must, must win the WWF title here. And the Fed, Vince McMahon, did not screw about with that. Quite rightly so. Needed to end with Angle being held shoulder high. I only wish I was there to do it. And it did. All well and good. But from a pro wrestling storytelling point of view, I do fear that Kurt Angle might have won the WWF title a little bit too soon. As anally retentive as me, as me of all people. All people to say that. He only officially turned babyface two months ago. And he's had that incredible match with Austin last month. He's had a really good one here. And that's it. The chase is over in just two months. Judging by where they went on the editions of Raw and SmackDown after this, where he's already going back to the comedy stuff. Is he playing second fiddle to The Rock and going for the tag team champions championships? I'm. mm, It's a worry that now they've already told his redemption story that now Angle is the WWF champion and it should be said obviously the alliance story is continuing that they may run out of steam with him he of course has the ability to make sure that doesn't happen and if he's afforded all the chances that he has been given and quite rightly so over the last two months then they can make it work but there's that nagging feeling that this is the part where the credits should have rolled but pro wrestling being as it is that all of pro wrestling is a post-credit sequence, isn't it? Especially when the babyface wins the belt. And there are already signs that Angle isn't going to be able to get the run with the title as a face that he has earned and deserves. Maybe I'm over-projecting. Maybe it's because I want everything to turn out okay for Angle as WWF champion. And I hope he's the champion for a while. But I'm still not convinced he's the number one face in the company in the eyes of the bigwigs. And shouldn't the WWF babyface champion, when they become that, shouldn't that mean the end of the invasion angle? Let's just see. But again, they had no other option but to give him the belt. They did in a very different and very successful match. All as well that ended well on the day, but on the roar afterwards and where we are now. I'm afraid I have to raise these questions, everybody. Bloody buzzkill that I am. Anyway, let's get some scores for Unforgiven 2001 and some overall thoughts. Pete, what have we got? So I'm going to give this six out of ten. So I said just above that middle point, I think there was enough here to to enjoy. With that B pay-per-view kind of runtime as well, that sort of two and a half hours, it was an enjoyable watch. Nothing really overstayed its welcome. So you weren't sort of sitting there thinking this is... This has gone on a little bit too long. There's a couple of matches that I think we could have seen a lot less of, as we've already spoke about. We know exactly what we're talking about. I don't want to go back there again, because it'll just make us all feel a little bit more sad and depressed, having gone through it once already. Thank you. Uh, I love the opener. It's a really good start. 
uh, lots of energy there. Uh, and I think Edge and Kristen slightly underwhelmed. Um, but, you know, I think it, there was enough there to, to enjoy. Rob Van Dam, match of the night, obviously, for me. I really enjoyed that one. Shame about Booker T and The Rock. Massive letdown, but I didn't expect much else from it. I really enjoyed the Tajiri Rhino match for what that was as well. And I think it was a great way to end. And it was the right finish, though I say the outcome, to the main event. Everyone going home with a big smile on the face. So, yeah, I'll give it a six. Bob, sum up Unforgiven 2001 and give us your score rating out of ten, please. Uh, I'm going to give it a five and a half. I feel for like a B-level pay-per-view, it's probably solid enough. Uh, I think my main gripe here is just the booking decisions, uh, whether it be Austin grabbing the apron or the handicap match involving Booker, Edge's intercontinental title run being cut short uh, already, and, uh, you know, just just those those few things really kind of just put a damper on it for me. I think the in-ring action isn't horrible by any means. I think it's it's okay. Uh, but uh, I think I would have enjoyed this a lot more if, if the main event was just given a decisive, no, no BS finish with Angle just winning cleanly. I think at the end of the night, I would have left being like, this was well worth my time. Instead, it's just like an eye roll. Like, why can't this guy just get a clean win but uh the only the only major match that i felt was a major horrible experience was was the tag match with uh taker and king against chronic i think that goes without saying yeah i think i'm just about going to go for a six on this one too this was an up and down show with probably more downs than ups if we're being honest and one of the ultimate downs which is going to live with me for a very long time. And I know I'm going to be discussing it at least once more on these shows this year. Lucky me. But I do think where this show needed to be successful, and it would have been a disaster if it hadn't been successful, I think they got it. I think RBD Jericho managed to achieve that. I think Edge Christian just about got there. And the main event, despite their best efforts to try and puck around with it, the main event did. We're always going to have that final shot of Kurt Angle being chaired by his family and his peers with a WWF title high above his head, wearing the stars and stripes. That image alone is all this pay-per-view really needed to be. And it happened. And when I think of Unforgiven 2001 in years to come, that will be the first thing that I think of. So in that respect, the pay-per-view was a success. I don't think the WWF quite got their priorities right in the right places. And again, I've already mentioned it too many times anyway. Just a little bit more thought and a bit of screwing there and a little bit of oil and elbow grease there. And this could have been for a B pay-per-view. This could have been extremely strong. Instead, the WWF probably thought that this was a B pay-per-view and they didn't need to channel all their efforts into it. It was to our detriment at more times than it should have been as viewers, but really Unforgiven 2001 is about the final 25 minutes, minus one second where Austin is holding onto the apron. So for those final 24 minutes, 59, I think Unforgiven from that alone earns a 6 out of 10. Come in. I understand you got a couple questions for me. A couple questions? Let me first start off by saying, 
Earl, you screwed Booker T and I out of the WCW championship last night. You're a WWF official. Let's put that on the side over here for a second. Because something else happened. You screwed Stone Cold Steve Austin out of the WWF championship. Well, don't, sh don't shake your head. I thought you might shake your head like that. Oh, you don't think so? No. Oh, really? Well, I beg to differ. I beg to I just so happened to put this together. I want you to look with your own eyes. There's Kurt Angle. Yes, there's Stone Cold. There's you. He's in the ankle lock. But look, is Stone Cold reaching underneath the bottom rope with his right hand, grabbing the ring apron? Is he not? Is Stone Cold, Steve Austin, did he not have his hand underneath? Underneath! He's tapping. Left hand. It was an honest mistake. Uh, I'm sorry? Uh, I'm sorry? It Say that again? It was an honest mistake. But my decision stands. Kurt Angle is still the WWF champion. I've pretty much mentioned everything that happened on the Raws and Smackdowns that's worth discussing. Angle's being paired up with The Rock, and I'm a little bit concerned about that. But otherwise, there's not too much we can really jump on, and no matches for No Mercy have been announced at this point, be it on camera or in the sheets. So, guys, just for the remaining uh, 10 minutes or so, Let's just get a story so far, really, of where we think the Alliance slash Invasion storyline is going. It's been taking place in anger for about three months now. Really began at the end of June when Booker T threw Austin through the table and broke his hand. Then the McMahons turned up and we all know the rest. If you have missed any of it, ladies and gentlemen, then do go back to our shows from June, July and August and get right up to date. But Pete, I'll come to you first. What are your thoughts on the Alliance storyline so far and where can it be improved? Remember, we've only got a few minutes on that question. <laughs> uh, again, I, I'm, I'm asking some very leading questions today, aren't I? I've not really given opportunities to uh, express your own viewpoints, but I think we probably share them on this score. But yeah, the Alliance storyline so far, what do you reckon? I think if you just take it from um, the, the pay-per-view, the invasion pay-per-view that took place, which I think drew a very good... Uh, by rate and seem to be go down very well with the live crowd as well. That should have been the the hint that this was something that really you could get behind, and I think people were invested in something different that hasn't been before. Clearly, with you know two separate um, companies going up against you know the WWF was a unique you know in the ring as opposed to being outside and competing elsewhere. Um, so it should have really been a win-win if, if booked and handled correctly. But I think the issue we probably had from the very, very beginning was, and I guess you could say this is a negative or a positive, is who hasn't arrived and who isn't in the alliance. Obviously, you're missing the big names, whether they would actually bring, and I'm going to talk about people like, you know, Nash and Goldberg and Sting and blah, 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 all these people like that who are the big, big names of WCW. Um, who obviously haven't come for whatever reason, obviously pure that's down to, to money and contracts, etc. So what we got left with was a bit of a, they had to do something pretty quickly. And obviously the uh, the Austin turn uh, really solidified the alliance as being something to, to take a bit of notice of. The problem they've got or they've had is they've just not had the star power or been booked to have the star power, probably from the beginning. I think I know Rhino came out and you know he won the, he won a title, didn't he, very early on in it, and the first shot across the bowels. DDP got absolutely well and truly gubbed, and his new vignettes worry me even more after the pay-per-view. I mean, obviously, we've seen that after on Raw and SmackDown. That's a bit of a interesting uh, new character for him, which I think is 
way removed from where he was as that WCW uh, character who could have a pretty you know decent match with anybody and would would, would go. The Booker T situation, I think I'm hoping there's something there, but he should really be you know one of the top guys. I like the way that Bob's point very early on about the Big Show. There's someone who surely could have tapped in to being this dominating guy who could take out a lot of the mid-card WWF guys and really dominate some of them. Um, but there's also been some really big wins. So Rob Van Dam is probably the biggest, most popular person right now, albeit sort of mid-card and moving up into you know, rubbing, rubbing shoulders with some of the big boys. He's a, a massive win. Rhino, we've always spoken about him. He's got a big upside potentially. Now he's a US champion. So there's a few more belts going around, a few more wastes. Uh, the belt issue, though, causes it's such a, a muddy water, isn't it, out there in, in the, the WF? You've got these WCW belts that are lying around, and it does diminish the value of basically all of them, really, because is the US title holder better than the Intercontinental? Is the European champion better than the light heavyweight? You know, we've got all these different uh, belts around. But I think... The people that are probably overused, I see a lot of Taz on the television. I just don't understand why we do. When you've got someone like maybe a Mike Awesome stood there in the in the, um, the little lounge they have set up by the all sort of cheer each other on, and you've got lots of other guys at the back there. You kind of think, I'd love to see them given an opportunity to really, you know, deliver something. And look, as Rhino's getting that opportunity to, to, to shine and, and show what he can do, and I think he's running with the ball, but... There's lots of guys there. Uh, Sean Stasiak is a lot of TV time. He's playing that bumbling, fool idiot. But I've seen a lot of him, you know, in the month of September when I don't really want to. I think it just diminishes the TV time that the Alliance gets. So I think it's there's the, the invasion, I think, has been been a positive in that it's brought up some different storylines and different characters and different people. It's created a different version of the Austin heel that, you know, this this kind of psychotic, delusional uh, leader, really, who's such a way and above and beyond anybody in that group has really made him stand out even more so. But did we really need him to do that? Somebody else or a few others need to step up to the plate now to to keep this going. And you also made a really good point, Rory, about the fact that Angle has beaten Austin. Shouldn't that be the end of potentially this this storyline? Obviously, because of the, the way that ended, it isn't. But... Uh, it'd be interesting to see where this goes moving forward, but they need to probably elevate a few people into a few more power positions to really make this fair. Now that Chronic, sadly, have left us, you know, that was our one hope in the tag team division, you know, that, that they were going to somehow wrestle control back. I am joking, by the way. Please don't take that seriously. Um, I know, yeah, don't worry. Um, there's there's not a tag team, really, they've created out of this, potentially. The, you know, Dudley boys were... You know, WWF before, you know, I know they're ECW, but they were already a WWF team with the Hardys and Edge and Christian before this all happened. So it's not really new in that sense. And I think just needs some, a few more tweaks and a few things to keep going. But I've, I think it's been OK. Um, there's just so many people that we're not seeing or people that we're seeing too much of. But that's because of how many people they've got on the roster and they're having to pay and, and sort out. So. Yeah, they've got they've got work to do. I don't know how much longer it's going to carry on, or they're going to have to brand it in a completely different way, or set up another brand and go off on a tangent. So, yeah, the future's going to be interesting in the next couple of months. Bob comments on 
anything Peter's put forward there and your opinions on the invasion slash alliance angle so far. Uh, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much more I can add to what uh, Peter said there. He, he covered a lot of ground and a lot of kind of my same thoughts. Uh, there are definitely guys in the alliance that aren't getting their fair shot to kind of break out and, and be a star, which is kind of funny because I feel like the WWF officials or however you want to describe them are, you know, refusing to put over guys that aren't in the WWF, which is ironic because guess what? Everyone's in the WWF. They're all under the same payroll or whatever at this point. You should be wanting to make the most money that you possibly can. It shouldn't be so such a difficult thing. Now, I understand you know, the war, the Monday Night Wars and all this stuff, you know, oh, you're trying to get us out of business, why should I align, whatever. At the end of the day, you're all on the same team and you should just want to make money. That's what this business is all about. I completely agree with a guy like Mike Awesome. That was the first thought that came to my head about who is someone that could be used better or more prominently in this whole storyline. And if you go back and look at his ECW run from uh late 99 uh until he leaves or even 98 that matter with like guys like Masato Tanaka and stuff like that the guy just came across as such a dominant heel and the matchups here with whether it be the rock or Steve Austin or you, you know Jericho's there's so much talent here that i feel like Mike Awesome would just kind of easily revert back to what he was in ECW now his WCW run with all the different gimmicks and stuff, certainly hurt him. But in this alliance, associate him with a guy like Paul Heyman. I know he's on commentary or whatever, but if you just insert him in there with him there and Heyman can be his talker, because I feel like these guys, I feel like all the owners kind of have the, their own person. Like Booker has Shane, Stephanie, I guess, has kind of attached herself to Rob Van Dam, which is completely unnecessary. But if Heyman needed a guy, He's right there with Mike Awesome, and I think it it would be really compelling television if, let's say, the next feud for The Rock were to be a guy like Mike Awesome with Paul Heyman as his mouthpiece. I think that's incredibly entertaining, and it really it would take one awesome bomb or one awesome splash from Mike Awesome off the top rope to solidify him as a challenger to The Rock, and I think that he's viable, or uh, excuse me, viable to be in that role, even considering the recent past for him. But that's all fantasy booking. In the current spectrum, especially coming out of this uh, pay-per-view, I don't think I'm excited for the future because I don't think the Alliance has a lot of momentum. Uh, the only guy coming out of this show that has my interest in any fashion is, is Rob Van Dam. Uh, I don't think... I think every time there's a match between any Alliance guy against any WWF guy, I'm not going into it thinking that the Alliance is going to win. And when your invasion angle has that kind of stigma to it, uh, I think it's kind of doomed, to be completely honest. So I am not looking forward to it. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully that, you know, they prove me wrong, but I'm just, I'm not, uh, I'm not hopeful that the Alliance can be a strong uh, opponent to the WWF. And it's really the WWF shooting themselves in their own foot at this point. Fantastic points from you both. Just one more I want to add before we close out for the month. 
And I'm still not sure what this feud is really all about, other than some vague illusions made by Shane and Stephanie. Oh, Shane and fucking Stephanie. Oh, about Fred Blassie and Vince wanting his father to die as soon as possible. And that's really all we've got. I don't really know what they want from this. What is the end game? Is somebody going to control both companies by the end of it? That hasn't been made clear. Now, what are we fighting for? And I just find it hard to take the alliance seriously, even allowing for the fact that, as we know, all the big names aren't there. But that's a, di- that's a different issue, really. I, I don't think that necessarily detracts from the story you're trying to tell if you tell the right story. But it was Dan Welling who made the point last month on the show that the Alliance just feel like a bog-standard heel group. I don't know what their character motivations are. Now, when I see Mike Orson skulking in the back, not doing anything, then I ask myself why. Not just from a non-kayfabe, I want to see a great performer given a chance perspective, but that's certainly part of it. But why would he even be there? Now, what's his goal? What's Tommy Dreamer's got? What, what are they, what are they trying to accomplish? We've never been told that. I've got to put this on the record that I think that's intentional. Like we're not really meant to get into the minutiae of this storyline and we're just automatically meant to support the WWF for very obvious reasons. I don't think that's enough. Certainly not for your more discerning pro wrestling fan, the person listening to this show for an obvious example. Uh, the casuals are probably okay with it. And yeah, they're really the people who will come to your shows and buy your merchandise. And ultimately, that's who you're directing your shows to. You know, the people who you want to try to keep. The people who aren't going anywhere, who, I don't know, do a pro wrestling podcast every single month and have to watch this stuff. Now, <laughs> you can afford to take a few more liberties with them. I do understand that. But I'm not invested in this storyline people want to be as you say Pete look at the buy rate for the invasion pay-per-view monumental numbers for a b-level show Monumental numbers for an a show outside of wrestlemania and yet it just bumbles along and they exchange titles in the wwf and the alliance they all win each other's belts they drop them again a couple of weeks later to somebody else maybe they'll win them back and it's just a vicious circle and they're not really telling me what these belts are worth so when I said earlier that The Rock shouldn't be WCW champion the attempts to make it worthwhile are incredibly cloying and I don't buy them but at least they are making an attempt with that belt I suppose the US belt, the WCW tag team belts they really are just props it's not as if the WWF score any points by winning them back themselves it's forgotten about by the next segment they just don't have a handle on this story. And there's rumblings in the news this month that the original plans, which were to have a outright second brand of WCW, might be in the pipeline again, possibly beginning shortly after WrestleMania, which is when I suspect they will have the final blow off to this, whatever it ends up being, a final title match between Austin and Angle, if he's still the champion, big tag team match, whatever. If it does go to WrestleMania and they do then switch back to WCW brand or alliance, whatever you want to call it, then the severe danger is, is that they are going to be heftily damaged by the time they have their own television program. I'm sure Biocom will have something to say about that if WCW, ECW ever made out to be complete and utter goobers for the previous eight months. And then they are supposed to show on their programming 
two hours of them being showcased. I hope somebody is thinking carefully about this stuff. And I'm not convinced there is. And there aren't really any distractions right now. The battle has been won. Vince can't say that he's trying to do anything other than focus on the day-to-day product because there's no other irons in the fire. The XFL died a death, I'm pleased to say. So it should be all in on what's on his TV screen. And we will call this in many years' time. We will call it the invasion era. That's settled. That's enough. But when people ask me in 20 years' time what happened during the invasion angle, and I just turn around and say, yeah, a bunch of people traded titles with another bunch of people for six months, then I don't see many people digging out the DVDs for this one, no matter how many pops RBD might have got. So if they have the time, and they can give themselves the time if they want it, they need to do not a reset, but don't do anything that drastic. They still need to keep the basic principles of WWF versus the Alliance, but whether it's Shane, whether it's Stephanie, whether it's Paul Heyman, which is far more like it, Steve Austin even, we need 20 minutes at the start of a Raw or SmackDown, the sort of thing I'm not normally a massive fan of, but here I will absolutely allow it just to reboot a little bit and tell us why this is happening, what the Alliance look to achieve, and how, in their own minds, they're going to achieve it. Because in so much as we ever have that, that has got lost along the way, and investment is being severely affected. And I hope that the right people, Paul Heyman himself certainly has a vested interest to make himself be one of the right people, gets heard, and we get it changed soon. Because otherwise, this is just rather schlocky good guys versus bad guys stuff that isn't going anywhere. And if they just carry on thinking they can exist on the names and the names only, they'll be very lucky to make it to WrestleMania. And that concludes another edition of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We are now back in the present day, September 2021. Pete Kimber, thank you so much for joining me on this show today, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Roy. Really enjoyed it. Good to, to step back in there. A monumental month as well to come into. Yes, yeah, absolutely. To spend, spend two hours with you guys. It's been great. Anything else you want to plug where you've got the chance, Pete? Uh, not a great deal. Just I'm on Twitter at pkimber one where you'll hear me cry a lot about Arsenal Football Club, <laughs> potentially cry about the Chicago Bears, which is upcoming, obviously, for the next <laughs> this season, and Sussex Cricket Club, which is also more tears. So really, I've not got some some good things to talk about, but you know, look out for some lovely comments to me on there. But apart from that, that's that's only where I am really. Bob, great to have you on this month. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, well, I got a few things, obviously. I got uh, wrestlingrecaps.com. I do re- reviews of pretty much anything that's wrestling-related I'll eventually get to. Uh, Icopod podcast with my buddies Austin and Dallas. We do live watches. We're up to uh, Good Friends, Better en- Enemies pay-per-view. Uh, that should be out soon. And uh, also the TNA Cross Line podcast, which is a watch along podcast with my buddy Dallas. We started at the very beginning and we just recently watched the episode where uh, Raven is accidentally scalped by uh, Father James Mitchell. So uh, that's what I got going on. And I also, uh, in terms of football here, if you guys don't hear from me for the next three or four months, it's because the Minnesota Vikings will have broken my heart once again. So I'm looking forward to that. 
It's nearly football time for you today, Bob. I know you've been watching the clock for the last two hours and thirty. Oh, I've been minutes. watching it as we've been talking. I got I got NFL Red Zone on and everything. I, I'm multitasking right now. And all is right with the world. I should say, Bob, it's good to have you on any month, but this month particularly, I wanted to make sure we had your representation. Fantastic okay. comments, as always, from both of you. It's been great to have you on, guys. Yeah, not the easiest of months to get through. I do think, listeners, that we took the right uh, took the right tack with this one. I did think long and hard when I knew that I was doing this show for September exactly what approach we were going to take and i think we've handled it just the right way do let us know in the comments uh on twitter and on facebook about what you thought about this show uh, absolute normal service will be resumed the next month or although only partially because it's going to be chris lacy dell and yully in the seat next month so oh my whether, God. That really cons- whether that constitutes normal service i will leave it up to you to decide there must be a record breaking there rory for uh Passwords, sure he's a good on that show. There must be a record breaker. Going to make my Stacey Keebler comments look extremely tame, I suspect. <laughs> anyway, they'll be on the show next month and they will, of course, be fantastic. But one more time from me and from Pete Kimber from Bob Colling, thank you very much for listening this month. Everybody, stay safe and take care. See you next time. So proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. Oh, the ramparts we watched were so.